So no one told you life was gonna be this way Your job's a joke, you're broke Your love life's TOA It's like you're always stuck in second gear When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year I'll be there for you When the rain starts to pour I'll be there for you Like I've been there before I'll be there for you Cause you're there for me too Do, 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 do Boom, we back in it, baby Welcome, welcome, welcome back To yet another exciting episode of Stars Born I am your host, Chris Arneson I'm so excited to talk to y'all today Cannot wait for this episode. Been looking forward to it. It's going to be a thriller. It's going to be thrilling. Can't wait. Um, Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, the ladies of Friends. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Before we talk about that though, let me introduce myself. If you haven't already listened to the first 25 episodes, go ahead and do so. Uh, start episode one. Will Farrell and yeah, come back here. Join me, join me right here. But um, if you have, you already know that I'm an author from Pullman, Washington. I'm sitting here in a Starsborn HQ, second floor of the coffee house apartments, looking out the window. Uh, cloudy, sun's out, but cloudy skies today in Pullman. Pretty nice though, low 40s. <clears throat> so warmer than it has been. I'm across the street from Washington State University right now. Um, yeah, check out my books, Sponge Cake, a mostly made-up story about a completely insane town and what's in the fridge on Amazon, Kindle, and Barnes & Noble. Check out my blog, thegoat1.blogspot.com, my website, christtheauthor.com. Follow me on Twitter at christtheauthor8 and Instagram at chrisarneson8. Thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast with a friend, family member, coworker, anyone and everyone. We're doing it big, doing it live, doing it real over here at uh, over here in Pullman, on the eastern side of uh, Washington State, in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. But um, before we get into some friends talk, a few things I want to chat about first. Let's do the uh, Mariners update. So for the Mariners update, as we discussed last episode, they will not be playing for some reason. Uh, spring training right now. Middle of spring training, but yeah, the Mariners have like a little like five day break for some reason. So when I was at the I was at the gym this morning, playing some hoops, going uh walking around the upstairs, I saw the uh, Red Sox Yankees game on the old tube. So I decided let's just check on that instead since the Mariners aren't playing, and the Yankees are hosting it at their spring training field. It was kind of interesting. As I saw the other day, the Red Sox were playing a game at their spring training home field, and they have a like a replica of the Green Monster down there in Florida. I thought that was like so funny. Like they should come up with like they should do a pool like the Diamondbacks, do something more Florida related. Maybe have like a a shark out there in the pool. That'd be cool. That'd be exciting. But um, any hoozles. This game right now, bottom of the fourth inning, so we'll come back and check on it throughout the podcast. It's 10-0 Yankees, though. Holy cow. 
So there we go. There's your Mariners update. It's nothing about the Mariners at all. As for the NBA update, let's see if there's anything interesting going on here. Um, let's see. The Jazz Band. There's a second fan. Oh man, the Utah Bat. The Jazz have some uh, some racist fans. It sounds like. <laughs> it's no offense if you're a if you're a Jazz fan, but because um. Let's see. Let's click on it. Um, Russell Westbrook. It says it, in the the headline is report jazz band second fan called Westbrook boy. Um, let's see. In a video post on social media Tuesday, a fan is heard calling Westbrook boy. And the second incident occurred last season before Game Four of the Jazz first round playoff against the Thunder in Utah. Dang. Um, let's see. NBA selling 10-minute viewing pass for 99 cents. What does that mean? Um, the NBA is now offering a 10-minute viewing pass for those fans who want to see what's happening in the league at any given moment. It's the sequel to Any Given Sunday. Any Given Moment. It's about NBA fans watching 10 minutes of a game. <laughs> That's what the movie's about. That's what the sequel to Any Given Sunday is. Um, the item will be rolled out starting Saturday and cost 99 cents. Fans will have the ability to watch as many live out-of-market games as they desire during those 10 minutes. That's so... That's kind of weird. The option will be available on NBA.com and through the NBA app. Hmm. I don't think I would do it. I wouldn't do it. It's too much of like... A tease. It's just a cliffhanger. Like, you have to time it perfectly. So, what if you just catch, like, the beginning of the second quarter and it's just all the substitutions? It's all the scrubs. Come on. I don't know. I wouldn't do it. Um, 99 cents isn't. I think it should be a half hour. I think it should be 30 minutes for for a dollar, dollar 49 <laughs> for 30 minutes. They shall offer another option. Um, okay, there's your um, there's your NBA update. There you go. That's an interesting. I've never heard of anything like that. Very interesting development there from Adam Silver in the uh, NBA front office over there. Let's do the let's do the Simpsons update. Simpsons episode of the week. We do this every episode. We discuss a different. Uh, old episode of my favorite show growing up, The Simpsons. This one is from season eight, the sixth episode, and it is a Millhouse divided. So, oh yes, I forgot to mention. I always forget to mention this, um, but you can see in the podcast description that this week's episode, or this episode's, excuse me, not this week's episode, this episode's state is Alabama. And why did I choose Alabama? Alabama, sweet home Alabama. Um, I could have sang that song in the beginning. It's because Courtney Cox, Monica, is from Birmingham, Alabama. So there you go. There's your connection right there. And yes, I chose this episode of. Of the Simpsons, a millhouse divided because uh, 
Millhouse is one of Bart's friends. You got it. There's your connection to friends right there. So I chose the episode about a friend for the friends episode. And the Millhouse divided. Millhouse's parents, Kirk and Luann, get a divorce, causing Homer to examine his own marriage. Um. Okay. Yeah, this is actually a classic episode. Let's read the couch gag. The couch gag is a really long one. From the intro of the episode. The family sits down, but Bart is green. Homer fiddles with the TV and Bart changes to red. Homer then returns to the couch and smacks Bart behind the head, returning him to his normal yellow color. So it's like a... It's like a... What's uh, what's his name? Fonzie. Fonzie smacking the TV with his elbow. Is that kind of... That same gag... A joke. This aired December 1st, 1996. This was the episode where... The famous episode where... um, I think... First of all, I think Milhouse's dad sings a song. I think Kirk sings a song. I'm pretty sure. Like an original. And I also think... um, I can't remember the... Oh, I got it. Now I got to look up the song. But I also definitely remember... um, him talking to Homer, and he's like telling Homer, "Oh, he's he's bragging. He's I get to sleep in a race car bed. What? Where do you sleep?" And Homer's like, "I sleep in a bed with my wife." <laughs> and it's so funny. Dignity is that the? Oh, this is the one where he draws dignity. Kirk has to. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so, that's like the most ridiculous thing to have to draw. They're playing, um, Pictionary. Yeah, they're playing Pictionary, and he has to draw dignity. And then he gets in a huge fight with, he just draws like a circle. And then he gets in a huge fight with his wife. Um, because his wife is trying to guess what he's drawing. Um, and then I think he's like, it's a door. And I'm, and I'm going out. Yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. The Simpsons gets really intense sometimes. Very real for a cartoon. Definitely the most uh, real cartoon I've ever seen. But the song I was talking about that Kirk Van Houten sings is Can I Borrow a Feeling? So it's a sappy love song that Kirk records after he and Luann divorce. Okay. He sings it at Homer and Marge's second wedding to try to win Luann back. It's, it's a, it's a good one. Kirk's a good character. He doesn't get he doesn't get much uh, screen time, but when he does, he certainly brings the heat. He does not shy away. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Some good Simpsons chat. Love that show. Haven't watched it much lately at all, but I mean that one's from the golden era. I like watching episodes from the golden era. I would say that is probably season. I'd say like, I want to give it like a big range. So let's say four through, four through twelve. But yes, yes, good Simpsons, very good Simpsons. Let's do the pin of the episode. Every episode, this is another regular segment. We discuss a different uh, T-shirt pin that I have in my little collection here. 
These are mostly from my baseball playing career. But I mean, some of them are from other stuff, like uh, the Sturgis one and the North Carolina. My favorite one, the North Carolina Tar Heels basketball hoop. That was a cool one. But this one I'm holding right now for this episode is, excuse me, it says, um, so it's um 11-year-old Little League Baseball District. Doesn't say what team or anything. Very unspecific. Another one of those unspecific ones. But I think it's the state of Washington. Oh, no, that's not even, it's not even the state of Washington. It's just no particular shape at all. And then there's just a baseball. Pretty, um, it's a black and blue and yellow and white. But it's very plain and doesn't really have a lot to do with baseball other than that one tiny baseball in there. Like, some of the better ones have been, like, I don't know, have had more to do with baseball, I guess. <laughs> like, they've had, like, a diamond, a bat, and a baseball. But who am I to judge? Who, one of my uh, Simon Cowell of pin judges over here? He's stopping so harsh. Um, Let's do another regular segment here. Let's do the recipe. The recipe of the episode. This is from uh, Maywood Hills. My elementary school, Cooking the Fast Way. It's a recipe book. And this is the salad episode. We're going to do some salads here. These are some short ones, so here we go. This one's a simple salad from Donna Siebert. Seibert. We've done her recipes before. Because I remember not being able to figure out which way to pronounce that. Um, here we go. Your ingredients. One large bag of mixed greens, two cups of crumbled blue cheese, one bag of sugared walnuts, one bottle of raspberry balsamic dressing. And directions, assemble first three ingredients, toss with dressing when ready to serve. A simple salad. It truly is, lives up to the uh, title right there. Let's do another one here. Spinach and gorgonzola salad. And there's no name next to it, so let's just give Donna, Donna the credit. Donna. Uh, four cups of fresh spinach. Remove stems and wash. One ripe pear, cored and cubed. Half cup of oil. One third cup of seasoned rice vinegar. Two tablespoons of freshly squeezed lime juice. Half cup of crumbled gorgonzola cheese. A third cup of toasted pecans. Gorgonzola is my favorite cheese. You guys remember that from, what was that, a couple episodes ago? Um, and your directions. Mix together spinach and pear. Whisk together oil, seasoned rice vinegar, and lime juice. Pour over salad mix and toss. Sprinkle gorgonzola cheese and pecans over top. And serve. Easy. Peasy Weezy. Let's do one more little short one. I'm not a big fan of spinach, but I definitely like it more than I used to. I like used to hate it as a kid. Just spinach, that's the worst. It's like punishment having to eat spinach. I remember my mom made this one like spinach soup that had little tiny like white balls in it. I don't know what they're 
what there's I'm sure someone out there knows what those are, but I, I can't think of what they are. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's do another spinach. Spinach salad by Katie Jewell. They might have been like tiny little onions. That might have been what they are. Tiny little onion balls. Alright, by Katie Jewell. Spinach salad. Your ingredients are spinach leaves, gorgonzola cheese, candied pecans, craisins, and raspberry dressing. And toss together spinach, cheese, pecans, and craisins. Pour on dressing to taste. Mix and serve. These are all very simple. Let's do spinach salad number two by Catherine Kokoris, a fast member. Um, this one's a little more, a little more work here. The salad ingredients are spinach, washed and torn, green onions, chopped lots, lots of them, uh, bacon cooked and crum- cooked and crumbled, and Parmesan cheese. And your dressing ingredients are three-fourths cup of salad oil, one-fourth cup of white vinegar, one teaspoon of sugar, a quarter cup uh, or a quarter teaspoon of paprika, half teaspoon of salt, quarter teaspoon of garlic salt, and one to three minute cooked egg. I usually cook for closer to three minutes, it says. And your directions are put all dressing ingredients in blender and blend until thick and creamy. Pour over salad mixture. Tastes better if the salad with dressing sits for one to two hours in the fridge. That's your spinach salad number two. I wonder how they decide which one got the number one ranking there. Maybe they, were, maybe they had a taste test, a blind taste test, where they judged them. Ooh, let's do this. This one sounds tasty. This is your last one here, okay? Here we go. I told you a salad day, so it's a big, it's a big salad day right here. Strawberry spinach salad, strawberry. Ooh, whoops! <laughs> I just banged my table right here. All right, by Leslie Wilson. My, uh, I just knocked over my pumpkin pie chapstick. Oh no, that's a. I love the flavor chapsticks. Guy, guy, go to next time I go to Walmart, stumble into the chapstick aisle, see what I can find there. All right, um, Leslie Wilson, strawberry spinach salad. Your dressing ingredients are quarter teaspoon of lemon zest, two tablespoons of lemon juice, two tablespoons of white wine vinegar, one third cup of sugar, one teaspoon of vegetable oil, and one teaspoon of poppy seeds. And salad ingredients are a half cup of sliced toasted almonds, one and a half cups of strawberries quartered, a half medium cucumber peeled, seeded, and diced, and a quarter small red onion sliced thin, six ounces of baby spinach. And your directions, mix together salad ingredients, combine dressing ingredients and whisk, add dressing to salad mixture and toss, and serve. Bada bing, bada boom. That's my favorite one out of all those, the strawberry one. That's the one I would most likely try, me personally, because I like the strawberries. So let's do the Calypso update. Speaking of regular updates, um, you thought I was going to say speaking of strawberries there. Calypso by David Sedaris, a huge fan of strawberries. Um, this, this is his latest book, came out 2018. 
I'm a big fan of David Sedaris. He's one of my favorite writers for sure, but I have not read any more pages of it yet. Still on page 250, so saving those last eight pages, I guess. Only only 258 pages in it, so there we go. Um, oh, something I want to mention about Friends, since this is the uh, Ladies of Friends episode. I just thought since uh, the coffee shop is like the main hangout spot there, I thought there should be more running to the bathroom with the, like, the main characters. Like, I'm surprised that isn't, like, one of the main plot lines, like, one of the running plot lines. Ooh, no pun intended. Or maybe pun is intended. One of the running plot lines throughout the series could be uh, all the main characters running to the bathroom because they're drinking so much coffee. And I don't know. I feel like that's a natural thing. But I just want to, that's just something that popped into my head this morning. And I just want to give it a little mention on the old pod. Um, let's see. I made a couple of pie charts here. The first one is my favorite. Actually, I made three. So the first one is my favorite friends, ladies, of the three main characters. So Monica has 25%. <clears throat> Rachel is 31%. And Phoebe is 44%. So I have Phoebe as my favorite character there, my favorite lady character. And then um, another pie chart here is Friends versus Seinfeld. Ooh, I've discussed this before. I just want to address this again. I said I like Friends more than Seinfeld. I mean, I was looking at a list of the of the best episodes of Friends on just some random website today. Excuse me. And I didn't really recognize a lot of them. So, I mean, and... And I can think of so many of my favorite Seinfeld episodes. So I'm still, I'm not saying that Seinfeld, I like it better. But what I like about Friends is I like the, I guess I like their apartments. <laughs> I like the coziness of the, like the coffee shop. I like the characters and like how they interact with each other. Um, I like how they have a foosball table in their apartment. Was it, Who's that? Um, Chandler's apartment. I don't know, but I think I've probably seen, I've definitely seen more Seinfeld, like a higher percentage of the Seinfeld episodes, probably, but um, just because you've seen more of them doesn't mean you're a bigger fan of that show, I don't know, I just like the goofiness of, not that Seinfeld, Seinfeld is super goofy, but they have the intricate plot lines in Seinfeld sometimes, I like how simple Friends is, I guess, Um, I don't know, it's a cozy it's a cozy show, like the way it's, it's shot, I suppose. Um, Seinfeld, they're a little meaner, the characters. <laughs> it's a little more like It's Always Sunny versus Friends, like Friends a little more The Office, I suppose. Some other show where they're nice, Parks and Rec. But that's just my little two cents there for Friends versus Seinfeld. I've discussed it before. I'm still a huge Seinfeld fan, but I don't know. Maybe some days I like Seinfeld more. Some days I like Friends more. Today I have Friends at 51% and Seinfeld at 49%. So it's a close race there. So it's not like it's not like I have them, one of them blown out the other one at all. And let's talk about my last pie chart right here. It's the Friends ladies uh, jobs that I would want. So um, Phoebe is a... Singer, singer songwriter masseuse 
Uh, Rachel is a fashion buyer, and Monica is a chef. So here's how I rank them. I put fashion buyer, 13%, chef at 33%, and singing masseur. That's a male masseuse, a masseur. I think I just learned that today for the first time. Um, a singing masseur at 54%. So there you go. Um, there's my three pie graphs right there. That'd be kind of fun to be a, a singing masseur. Be like a character in Forgetting Sarah Marshall or something. I feel like you could get, you could get some books and, uh, some stand-up gigs just based on that. <laughs> Book some stage time as a singing masseur. That'd be a good stage act, actually. That'd be a good, uh, character. I'm Vinny, the singing masseur. Um, let's see. <laughs> what did I... Oh, this was something I wanted to mention. So this is Mental Floss. Uh, it's a popular magazine. I think my mom gets that subscription. I don't know if she still does, but... They have 25 things you might not know about friends. Here's the first one. The show was originally called Insomnia Cafe. And a bunch of other things. But Insomnia Cafe, though... Crazy, or um, the title Friends Like Us, Friends Like Us, or um, Across the Hall, or Six of One. That one's terrible. That one's like a math problem. That's confusing. I think they were trying to copy like Three's Company there. Six of One. I don't get that. Uh, the cat number two, the cast could have been so much different. Hmm, um, let's see, who else could have been it? Kathy Griffin and Jane Lynch um, were, were auditioning uh, John Favreau and John Cryer. Oh, so John Cryer, I wonder who would have played Charlie Sheen's brother then. Maybe Joey would have been Charlie Sheen's brother. That would have been a totally different show. Um, let's see. Oh, they were both considered for the role of Chandler. Um, let's see who else. I want to see who else was. It's always fun seeing who almost got like famous character roles. Uh, huh. Before the show premiered, Courtney Cox was probably the most famous cast member. She was known for many commercials, plus Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark music video. The Friends producers originally asked her to play Rachel. But she requested the role of Monica because she liked the strong character. She's saying Rachel's not strong. What's going on there? Um, let's see. I guess Monica's just known for being super confident. I want to see. How do you search this? Movie. Movie roles. Almost. Yeah, movie rules that almost went to someone else. Here it is. This is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of... We just switch up. This is how we do it on Star is Born. Just mid-list. I just switch it up and go to another list. We're crazy. It's going crazy. Um, here, Here's one. Tom Hanks almost played Harry Burns in When Harry Met Sally. Okay. I've never seen that one. Uh, oh, Wow. Liam Neeson almost played President Lincoln in Lincoln. That would have been such a different movie. 
Liam, he would have been like, I have a very special set of skills. Very special set of of slave freeing skills. Um, that's awesome. That would have been such a cool movie. Uh, he's just like on the phone with. He, do they even have no? They have phones back. Hmm. Now I have to look up when. Now I have to look up when the first Alexander Graham Bell, right? Yep. When was the telephone invented? I feel like that's something that that's something that everyone should know, like off the top of their head. But I think you should know that Alexander Graham Bell was the one. Um, Scottish-born scientist, inventor, engineer, innovator, credited with inventing and patenting the first practical telephone. He also founded AT and T. He's the founder of AT and T in eighteen eighty five. So when did he invent the phone? Um, the, he awarded the first U.S. patent on the telephone in eighteen seventy six. There you go. So Abe Lincoln did not have a, tel- a telephone. That answers that question. Um, let's get back to the fifty iconic. Reese Witherspoon almost played Cher um, in Clueless. Okay, we talked about Clueless in a Paul Rudd episode. Katie Holmes almost played Annette Hargrove in Cruel Intentions. Britney Spears almost played Allie Hamilton in The Notebook. What? That's crazy. Britney Spears. That that was before she went nuts, uh, before she, like, had her... Crazy Britney Spears period of time. Sir Ian McKellen almost played Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Jennifer Hudson almost played the lead role in Precious. Julia Roberts almost played Annie Reed in Sleepless in Seattle. Matt Damon was almost in uh, Avatar. That would have been cool. Matt Damon was almost Dan White in Milk. Matt Damon almost played Harvey Dent in Dark Knight. I guess Matt Damon... Oh my... Matt Damon almost played Enos Del Mar in Brokeback Mountain. Matt Damon could be in any movie, though. You could just say Matt Damon almost played President Lincoln. I'm sure Matt Damon could have played Lincoln. Uh... Sean Connery. Sean. Who's the man now? Who's the man now, dog? Who's the man now, dog? Sean Connery. Ah. Sean Connery. I was almost in Lord of the Rings. Oh my goodness. I almost played Gandalf. Sean Connery playing Gandalf? Oh. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Oh. 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 Uh, uh, Al Pacino. Oh. Oh, <laughs> that's my Al Pacino impression. Oh, he was on almost Han, Han, Han Solo. He almost played Han Solo. Wow, in Star Wars. Al Pacino as Han Solo? That would have been awesome. Al Pacino almost played John McClane in Die Hard. Oh, that's a movie I got. I gotta see Die Hard. Oh, that's one of those classics, along with a. Rocky and The Godfather and Titanic and Die Hard. Those are some of the biggest ones I have not seen. Oh my gosh. 
That's so many good movies I haven't seen. Tom Cruise almost played Ren McCormick in Footloose. Johnny Depp almost played Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. Matthew McConaughey, alright, 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 alright. I was almost in, hey, speaking of the devil, I was almost in Titanic, alright, alright. Jack Dawson. Um, Wow, Matt McConaughey in Titanic, that would have been exciting. Jessica Simpson, what if, and then what if Leo DiCaprio was in uh, Days and Confused? He played he played that character, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> oh my gosh, he plays a Wooderson. That would have been funny. Uh, Jessica Simpson almost played Jamie Sullivan in A Walk to Remember. Never heard of that movie. Tom Selleck almost played Indiana Jones. Tom Selleck, Megan Pia. With the uh, mustache, right? And the ball cap. The mustache and a baseball cap. Will Smith was almost in The Matrix as Neo. That would have been cool. I think that would have been like... No offense to... I like Keanu Reeves a lot, but... That might have been a better movie if Will Smith was in it. Sarah, Sarah Polly was almost in um, Almost Famous. She was almost in Almost Famous. As Penny Lane... Mel Gibson almost played Maximus in Gladiator. Hugh Jackman almost played James Bond. That would have been awesome. I think that would have been better than uh, Daniel Craig. Hugh Jackman. Wolverine as James Bond. Charlize Theron. Check episode uh, 13. Charlize Theron. Theron. Almost played Roxy Hart in Chicago. 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 Emma Watson almost played Mia in La La Land. Christina Applegate almost played Elle Woods in Legally Blonde. Okay, that's enough of these. Oh, let's end on this one. We just did this person's episode. Anne Hathaway almost played Tiffany in Silver Linings Playbook. Okay, this, this is a crazy one to end on. Guess, guess who almost played Forrest Gump? If you had to rack your brain right now, who could be Forrest Gump? John Travolta. There you go. John Travolta almost played Forrest Gump. Um, let's see. Anything else crazy about Friends? Nah, let's get out of that. Let's get back to... I just want to go back to Alexander Graham Bell. You thought we were done with him? Let's see what... Let's see what, uh, what he did. <laughs> what else? What else did he do? He, uh, many other inventions for Alexander Graham Bell, including groundbreaking work in optical telecommunications, optical telecommunications, hydrofoils, and aeronautics. Although Bell was not one of the 33 founders of the National Geographic Society, he had a strong influence in the, on the magazine while serving as a second president from January 7th, 1898 until 1903. Um, okay, cool, 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 let's get into, I think now is a good time to get into the, uh, show show, but actually before we do that, let's talk, um, let's talk some Alabama, we said, I just said it was the Alabama episode, in honor of the one and only Courtney Cox being from there, 
So here we go. This is from um, Road Trip America by Andrew F. Wood. Um, I'm looking at a picture of St. Francis Hotel Courts, the traveler's home of distinction. U.S. Highway 3180, 82, and 231, Southwest, Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, St. Francis Hotel Courts, successors to Vulcan Motor Lodge, Birmingham, Alabama. And then it's just a fairly, was it? It's just white and green awnings and pretty basic looking hotel right there. Uh, looks kind of like a storage unit. Um, and there's a statue I'm sure we'll read about here. Statue of a, looks like a lady holding up something there. And then this beautiful picture of, I don't know, these these like houses and castles in the in the hills. I'm sure we'll read about it. First, let's read the did you know fact. Have you ever wondered what happens to lost airline luggage when no one shows up to claim it? There's a pretty good chance it'll wind up at the unclaimed baggage center in Scottsboro, Alabama. Drop by and you might be able to purchase a pre-Columbian artifact, an electrolysis machine, or parts from an F-16. Along with the usual assortment of cameras and clothes, you can find just about anything there. And all side items are for sale. It's kind of like a storage wars. Huh. Okay. Alabama, known as the Yellow Hammer State since the Civil War, offers plenty of historical sites and family attractions, including a civil rights institute in Birmingham, the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, and the Alabama Music Hall of Fame. You can even pull off the road between Birmingham and Montgomery to gawk at a 120-foot-tall peach water tower in Clanton. A peach water? So is it just a water tower that's colored peach? Or is it like a James and the Giant Peach? James and the Giant Peach Water Tower. Uh, plus you can celebrate the only known monument to the bull weevil. The hardy folks in Enterprise, Alabama leaned, learned the hard way how to, how to confront adversity. In the early 20th century, the town's economy depended on king cotton. Business was good and prosperity seemed assured. The pesky bull weevil had other ideas, destroying almost 60% of the local cotton production. Dis despair overcame the town, but enterprising farmers responded to the threat by switching to other crops such as peanuts. Within two years, the town's economy flourished. Remembering the hard lesson taught by the uninvited pest, city fathers erected the bull weevil monument on Main Street. You can visit the statue depicting a woman holding a huge bull weevil above her head today, as long as the local teenagers haven't stolen it as part of a prank. It's happened before. Okay, so yeah, that's what the lady in the statue is holding above her head, is a bull weevil. What's a bull weevil? Now I gotta check on what that is. I've heard, I think I've heard it before. Um, Any bull weevil enthusiasts out there? Hit me up. I was an ex-insect, okay. I mean, that's, I kind of, I think I kind of gathered it, but I'm confused. She's, how could she be holding a bull, huge bull weevil above her head? That's disgusting. It doesn't look like an insect that she's holding above her head. The bull weevil is a beetle which feeds on cotton buds and flowers. 
thought to be native to central Mexico. It migrated into the United States from Mexico in the late 19th century and had infested all U.S. cotton growing areas by the 1920s, devastating the industry and the people working in the American South. And apparently this lady's holding a giant bug above her head. It's like a fear factor. Okay. <laughs> okay, crazy. Here we go. <clears throat> Alabama. Tiny town. A monument of a different sort awaits you in Coleman, Alabama. The Ave Maria Grotto. While shoveling coal for the only Benedict- Benedictine monastery in Alabama, a young monk named Joseph Zoto dreamed of all the places he'd like to visit. To satisfy his wanderlust, Zoto collected all postcards from- of sacred places. Roman monuments, Palestinian holy places, medieval shrines. He also imagined visits to secular sites such as the Leaning Tower of Pisa, the Statue of Liberty, and even the power plant where he worked in younger days. He then built each structure from inexpensive stones, such as marble, glass, shells, and other random materials. Each structure conforms to the peculiar perspective created from the postcards, snapshots, and other reproductions upon which brother joseph depended to craft his masterpieces Uh, set on a four acre park the grotto has grown to include 125 miniature monuments to the spirit and the imagination after working on his project for four decades brother joseph died in 1961 having visited only six of the magnificent structures he replicated in selma you you can commemorate the events that became known as Bloody Sunday when civil rights activists seeking passage of the Voting Rights Act crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge in the face of Billy Club wielding cops. Visiting the National Voting Rights Museum and Institute, you can see various artifacts from the Jim Crow era, including a whites-only sign. You can also view photographs of Amer- African-American political figures Ordinary folks who faced death while making their historic crossing in the room that honors the woman who often served anonymously and thanklessly during the struggle. The museum proudly notes that many of its employees and board members took part in the bridge crossing and are glad to share their stories with visitors. When did this book get published? This was published in 2003. Okay. 16 years ago. Very interesting. So, I guess that was a miniature monuments. Uh, that's what I'm, I was looking at over here. Is that's why I was kind of confused because the scale of the picture didn't make any. It was very confusing to me because I couldn't tell if it was just super zoomed out or if, what was going on here. But now it makes sense. They're miniature monuments, kind of on a, a hillside, a grassy hillside. Uh, m- mossy, rocky, all that stuff. Um, yeah, and that's why I was wondering what year this book was published because it said many of the museum employees took part in the bridge crossing. So that means they've been there for a while. So that's why I was wondering that. Hmm, very interesting. That's a, uh, it didn't say roll tide. It didn't say roll tide there once. I think that's a, uh, I think that's an omission that Alabamans would be none too pleased to see. Um, <laughs> let's see. What else did... Oh, yes. I also want to address... Let's, let's address Vinny and Polly D's new show. 
Oh my goodness, I saw this in Twitter the other day, and I couldn't believe my eyes. Vinny, uh, let's see, was Polly and Vinny channel The Bachelor for a new dating series? Okay, so double shot at love with DJ Polly D and Vinny. Double shot at love. Not a bad title. Pretty, pretty catchy. Sounds kind of like a drink, like a drink at a bar. Can you get three double shots at love <laughs> at a strip club? Um, let's see. The new show features 20 hopeful women who will compete to be Polly and Vinny's respective ride or dies. While the men may get to choose who stays and who goes, the women get to decide whose love they're competing for. Oh, so they get to choose if they want the blue pill or the red pill. Speaking of the Matrix. Yeah, so there you go. Let's see when it starts. Um, premieres Thursday, April 11th with back-to-back episodes. Coming up. Coming in hot. Vinny. Yeah, buddy. Cabs are here. T-shirt time. It's T-shirt time. It's T-shirt time. Okay. Let's check them. Let's check the uh, Yankees. Yank Sox, thirteen to one now. Holy cow! The Yankees are crushing them. Bottom of the sixth inning, thirteen one. Okay, there's your Mariners update there. Um, okay, this is something I wanted to talk about. This is a great story. This was one of my one of my favorite like friends memories from from like high school. So. And definitely my best um, Ashton Kutcher moment of my life. My inner, the moment when I most channeled my inner Ashton. So here it is. This was um, <clears throat> senior year of high school. Must have been, yeah, just sometime during the year. Probably around this time of year. Probably March or so. And my parents were out of town somewhere. So we had, and my brother and sister were gone too. So I like seriously had the house to myself, and a couple of friends came over, uh, Brian, Brian McPhee, and Stephen, uh, uh, not Stephen Ungrecht. We'll talk about him in a little bit when we talk about the uh, AMC Trail feature. But no, this was Stinky Pete, uh, Stephen Pearson. So um, yeah, they came over. Um, there might have been, might have been a couple other people too, but um, one person that definitely came over, who. I never really hung out with maybe this might have been the only time I ever hung out with him out of school really um he was a football player Landon so so why Landon is so important to the story is because he was pretty much the main target he was the main victim of our prank uh he fell victim to our evil uh juvenile ways but um so here's what happened here's the prank so I had an attic, I have an attic, and it's above, basically above um, the entrance of my of my house back home in Bothell. Like you go through the front door and take a few steps and then you look up and you see this, um, like a door, like a trap door kind of thing. Like, so you can tell that it opens to an attic, you know, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, but we never like opened it ever. So I think this was the first time 
I'd ever actually like seen up there. But um, yeah, this is the kind of dumb stuff you do when you're in high school and unsupervised, just messing around, making a ruckus. But um, so the prank was, we had Stinky Pete go up there, and he would make noises like all sorts of crazy, like banging on the walls, banging on the ground, yelling, all sorts of noises. And we invited like a few people over before landing and tried to we tried to prank them tried to prank them real good um i don't think we got like anyone really until landing but by the time we had invited landon over it had escalated like you know how these kinds of activities will escalate um when when there's like no adults there and we weren't really pranking the other kids any good when we invite them over so we figured we had to like up our game a little bit, you know. Step up to the major leagues. So so for some reason, we give Steven this is how dumb we are. Um we give Steven a giant butcher knife from from the kitchen. I don't know why. I don't know what our thought was. Oh, I think I think what our like crazy dumb like kids minds were thinking were was that if we got Landon to like poke his head up there, he might see that he might, like, not see Steven's face. Like, I think Steven was definitely wearing a mask. So I think I think he thought that... We thought that we might just get Landon to poke his head up and see a crazy person with a mask and, like, a knife and just freak Landon out. I think that's what we were trying to do. That's what our thought process was. Um, he was probably wearing, like, a wolf mask. Like, one of the masks that... Um, in one of those old stories I talked about when we faked eating a, a dead body on the side of the road. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's probably with the same mask. Um, yes, yes. So we invite Landon over. And, and, oh my gosh. And, oh no. Wait a second, I butchered it. I butchered the, uh, okay, I, I told you guys, this is why, this is what makes sense. Okay. So we did not give Stephen the butcher knife. Um, so we didn't give Steven a butcher knife. That, that wouldn't have really made sense. So he was up there. I mean, he was just banging around, no knife, but Landon was so freaked out by the sounds and the yelling and the banging that Landon grabbed a butcher knife. So that's where the knife came in. Okay. That just clicked in my mind. That makes much more sense. Um, yeah, so Landon, so he's climbing up the ladder. He's going to go look up there. Because he's like freaking out and he's like yelling. Oh, another thing we did was, I don't know why we thought this was like necessary or a good idea, but but it looking back, it definitely would like, it would up the level of like, it, it's natural for a horror movie. It, it would fit into a horror movie. It ups the level of scariness. We um we cut <laughs> we cut the power to my house. So <laughs> so like. Right when, right when the Stevens up there yelling and banging on the wall and just making crazy like animal noises, just all the lights go out, and <laughs> so imagine that. And um, and then Landon is just really freaked out, and he's like a big dude. He's probably like six two 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 sixty something like at the minimum. So he's a big dude, um, and he's freaking out. 
and we got a ladder. So he, I think we we just convinced him that we're like Landon. You gotta go. You gotta go look up there. I think that's how we wanted to to pay off the joke, because you know how like you need like a payoff for the prank. So we wanted him to to just look up there and see that it was Stephen and just be like, oh ha ha. But um, I don't. We probably should have stopped him. But um, I just remember him grabbing a knife. And I'm, I, that image of Landon holding a knife in my kitchen, and like all the lights are out, it's definitely like one of those images that's ingrained in my memory and like a big, a big part of my memory. It's just so funny. I mean, it's not funny, but someone could have got seriously hurt. But I mean, it was funny at the time. It's like one of those crazy, it's like when you're pulling a prank on someone and you can't believe it's working this well. And you just you're doing everything you can to like to not laugh, like that's such an ad- adrenaline rush, and I don't know this this almost it's almost can't be topped. It's it's, almost, it's one of the best like pranking someone like that is one of the best feelings. Like I, I'm jealous of Ashton Kutcher. He had one of the most fun jobs in the world when he got to work on uh, Punked. Oh my gosh! Now we got to pull up Punked so we can. I want to see some of his best pranks on punks. Um, but I'll finish telling you guys a story. So, um, punks, best pranks. So, so Landon climbs the ladder and he's holding the knife. He's like freaking out and like yelling, and and then and we've opened we've opened the um the trap door so we can he can get up there and, and I don't know how this happened it could have been way worse but he must have reached up there with the knife and Steven must have I think Steven reached out there or something maybe to like grab the knife from him or something but Steven his hand his thumb got cut I believe but I'm we're lucky that we're lucky that one of his fingers didn't get cut off but that, that definitely brought like an end to the whole, like right when that happened, everyone was like, wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> it, like, it was kind of that thing, like time out, time out, time out. And um, kind of brings a halt to the whole thing. But yeah, looking back at it, I'm pretty thankful that Landon didn't accidentally cut off Steven's like whole hand or something. So that's good. But yeah, that was the... um the infamous attic prank and I remember just telling people about that like at school the next day we were just bragging about it <laughs> just that was such a fun story to talk about I was it was good that was that was probably the best prank I've ever been a part of looking back I'll have to try to think of some other pranks I may have been a part of but that was the one that definitely stands out the most um I mean prank calls we used to do prank calls but that's nothing close to that's easy you just you don't have to look at someone in the face you just call them on the phone but i don't know if people still do prank calls seems kind of old school they're bringing back adam carolla's uh prank call show crank acres so that's something um that's a prank call show coming back here's punked this is what they did for the first episode ever of punked let's see Frankie Muniz entrusts his $250,000 Porsche Speedster to a valet so he can meet with Ashton about a proposed 
movie. Uh, the valet takes the car for a spin around the block a few times. So he goes all pretty much like the uh, valets and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, while Dak De- Shepard poses as a thief who stole Munez's car and speaks to Munez on the phone. Meanwhile, Frankie believes his beautiful car was just stolen. So our old friend back from uh, episode 10, Dak Shepard, was in on this one. Um, and then also, Justin Timberlake, JT, is led to believe he owes $900,000 in back taxes when government agents appear to confiscate his house and valuables, uh, including his dog, bringing him to tears. The, pr- the prank was named by Time Magazine as number three in their list of 32 epic moments in reality TV history. Dang. Number three. Timberlake would later help. I want to know what the top two moments he listed for reality TV history. Oh, it was pretty intense when, um, now I got to look up, uh, Survivor. It was, this was early Survivor, like season one or something. Survivor, um, fire. There was a person, fire injury, yep. A person rolled over. Michael Scoopin. He he became the first person ever to be medically evacuated from Survivor after he fell hands first into a into a fire. Wait, is this the one I was thinking of? When was he on Survivor? Australia. Yeah, that must have been it. I'm just jumping all over the place. Reality TV right now. Okay, here's what happened. Uh, on day 17, Scoopin was tending to a fire. At camp, when he accidentally inhaled some of the fumes and passed out into the fire. Seconds later, he let out a scream, then frantically ran into the water as his hands were burned severely. The medical team was called in, and they determined that his injuries were too severe to keep him in the game. He was then evacuated by helicopter to seek further medical treatment, making him the first Survivor player ever to be medically evacuated. And the first to be eliminated from the game without being voted off first. Um, well, it was on like the second season. But, okay, that's not really how I remembered it. Like as a kid, when I watched that, for some reason I remember him like taking a nap and rolling over. But I guess he was tending to the fire, and then he passed out in it. Okay, that also makes sense. <laughs> um, let's see. Back to punked. Back to punked. Timberlake would later help punk Kelly Osbourne in season four, in this season's fourth episode, and would later parody Ashton Kutcher when he host, hosted SNL. Um, okay, that's your first episode ever punked. I want to see what episode two is. Eliza Dushku is out shopping with friends, and they leave her alone. But when she tries to leave, they find over five hundred dollars of clothes. And accuse her of stealing it. Okay. Mandy Moore thinks she's on a new MTV show. And after touring at a trailer. Touring a trailer home. A huge sign crushes it. For which Mandy is blamed. That one's. I like that one better. That's more creative. (laughs) Like I like the ones that have a big. Some sort of like. Physical humor. Or some. 
don't know, just something something in Smash, some sort of big disaster that they make a f- really big freak out face and just don't know what to do. Like the five hundred dollars and being accused of shoplifting five hundred dollars, like that's she can afford that. That's not that's not that crazy. You don't have that sim symbol symbol. Excuse me. <laughs> Single moment. I am loopy right now. Um, I think now is a good time. We've been all over the place. We've been all over, and we haven't even gotten into any of the credits yet. But um, I I need to explain what what was I trying to say there. I was trying to say I just like the. It's better like. I'm just thinking as a producer, I guess. <laughs> I like to look at things as a producer. As a um trailer, as a person who makes a trailer, it's so much easier to make a trailer with a giant sign smashing a trailer. Speaking of trailers, wow, I didn't even mean to do that pun. <laughs> when you're making a trailer, it's easier to have a giant sign smashing a trailer home. But um then just like have someone have some lady or something or some dude trying to trying to tell a celebrity that they're that they're shoplifting because they know that they weren't so it's like you can't trick me you can't trick a person into thinking that they're stealing because she'd just be like i know i wasn't stealing um and that's why i don't think that one worked (laughs) that's why i think the giant sign smashing the trailer works better i just showed my work uh, let's see, chapter three, this is, oh my gosh, this is my favorite book ever, based in my hometown, uh, basketball, my favorite sport, and the person who wrote it, Carl Duker, Carl Duca, a teacher at my elementary school, my brother had him in sixth grade, and here we go, this is chapter three of, um, what part are we on now, we're in part three, aren't we, yeah, we are part three. Chapter 3, Part 3 At lunch on Friday, Luke and I sat off by ourselves. You made a couple bad plays, he said. It happens. You'll get another chance. Yeah, I mumbled. Next year. He laughed. Come on, Faburo can't play the whole game. You've got to get some minutes. Play your game tomorrow night against Eastlake and you'll be okay. In the locker room before practice, it was as if I had some contagious disease. Even Luke left me alone. I dressed in the corner, then headed out, um, head down. But the court worked its magic. I stepped on the hardwood, and it was like coming home. All the drills, passing, shooting, rebounding, were like old friends. Luke was right. There'd be another game, another chance. With an hour left in practice, O'Leary blew his whistle. My throat tightened. Scrimmage. Would he say something to me? Point out my mistakes to everybody? Or would he let it go? We gathered around him. He took out a red handkerchief and wiped the sweat from his forehead. All right, listen up. I want to go over some changes for tomorrow's game. He looked at Brian Chang. Brian, Luke Jackson is going to be taking your spot on starting unit. But don't worry, you'll be the first guy off the bench. Chang flushed. Sure, coach, whatever you say. Good, good attitude. The kind of attitude I like to see. The kind that wins games. Which brings me to my next point. O'Leary passed, paused, and when he spoke, there was anger in his voice. We were too wild against Juanita, too helter-skelter. From now on, if the lane isn't there on the fast break, pull the ball out and run a play. 
No more playground stuff. Everybody got it? I got it, all right. He might as well have pointed right at me. I was the playground guy, the point guard who didn't run set plays. All right, then. Let's walk through that, our plays. I want the first to, I want the first team on the court, and I want the rest of you along the wall watching. We're going to do it until we get it right. I found a spot by the drinking fountain and watched, or pretended to watch. When it wasn't the second team's turn to be on the court, I did everything O'Leary asked, but I did it the way a zombie might. Get with it, Abbott. O'Leary bellowed more than once. I couldn't free my mind from Juanita's gym. I kept reliving that final minute. If I'd stayed tight on Jefferson, if I'd passed the ball to Carver or Luke. The whistle finally blew. All right, that's it for today, O'Leary shouted. Shower up. I head for the locker room. Abbott, O'Leary called. Could I see you for a minute? As I followed him to his office, my heart pounded. What now? A one-on-one chewing out? O'Leary closed the door behind us, then rubbed his freckled hands together. I know this was a tough day for you, Nick. My throat was tight. I wasn't sure I could breathe. He waited, but when he saw I wasn't going to answer, he went on. I won't pretend I liked the way you played last night. You forgot about your teammates, forgot about your coach, tried to do it all by yourself. But I take the blame for putting you in that position. Point guard is the toughest job on the court. You weren't ready for it, not after a couple weeks of practice, and I should have known that. I'll do better next time, I managed to say. I've thought about what I did. I know I'll do better. Good, that's what I wanted to hear. Be patient. Don't force things. Let the game come to you. A little flame of hope came to life inside me. Coach, if you give me another chance, I won't screw up again. I promise. He smiled. That's the spirit. It's a long season. You'll get your chance. I thought he was done. I started for the door, but before I could leave, he called me back. There's something else I want to talk to you about, Nick. The tone of his voice was strange, and so was the expression on his face. He cleared his throat. I waited. Teammates help each other out, both on and off the court. That's true, don't you think? Sure, coach, I answered. He drummed his fingertips on the desk. So that brings us to Trent Dawson. Trent Dawson, I stammered. You live across the street from him, don't you? Yeah, but I don't see him much. He keeps to himself. O'Leary nodded. What I'm going to tell you now is confidential. I can trust you, can I? Sure, coach. You don't have to worry about me. Okay, then. I talked with the cop handling Trent's case. They've charged that brother of his with eight counts of animal cruelty, O'Leary scowled, killing little baby ducks and geese for God's sake. They should lock the SOB up and throw away the key, but they won't, of course. I had him in gym class two years ago, and... He stopped mid-sentence, waving his hand above his head. Listen to me. I'm rambling on like a crazy man. The important thing is that Trent had nothing to do with it. He's been released from the juvenile detention center. He's home now, or at least he should be. That's where you come in. I want you to check on him. I flushed. I'm glad he's not in any trouble, but Trent and I aren't exactly friends. In fact, I think he half hates me. Excuse me. O'Leary smiled. I've looked through Trent's school records. If he only half hates you, you're not doing bad. It looks to me as if he completely hates just about everybody else. He stared at me. When I didn't speak, he went on. I'm not asking you to marry him, Nick. All I want you to do is knock on the door and see if he's there. I swallowed. I'll check on him, coach. But what do I say if he's home? Tell him 
to be at our game tomorrow and at practices next week. Tell him the team is counting on him for the second half of the season. Tell him we need him. You want me to tell him that? O'Leary caught the disbelief in my question. His eyes honed in on me. I certainly do, because we do need him. We need his toughness, his aggressiveness. I've been coaching a long time, Nick, a long time. A team is like a jigsaw puzzle. Trent is one of the pieces, just as you are. We need all the pieces. I nodded. I'll tell him. O'Leary stood. All right, that's it then. It was a simple request. All I had to do was walk across the street and give Trent's front door two raps. If Trent wasn't there or didn't answer, then I'd just walk back to my house. If he did answer, then I'd tell him what Coach has said. Either way, the whole thing wouldn't take more than two minutes. Still, I put it off and put it off. I ate dinner and afterward returned to my room to listen to this Sonics game. But I couldn't concentrate. I flicked off the radio and went downstairs. Where are you going, Mom asked, when she saw I was heading outside. I explained, well, you deliver the message and then you come right back. I don't want you spending any more time with him than you have to. Don't worry about that, I said, lacing up my shoes. This wasn't my idea. Rain has started to fall. I crossed the street quickly, climbed his porch steps, took a deep breath, and knocked. I could hear voices inside, Erica Dawson's and Steve Clay's. They sounded hateful, the way Mom's and Dad's voices had sounded just before Dad moved out. I thought about knocking again, but decided against it. I turned and was heading down the stairs when Trent opened the door. He looked terrible. He had on a ripped t-shirt, dirty sweats, and no shoes. His hair was sticking up as if it hadn't been combed in a week. What do you want? He muttered. I don't want anything. I'm just here to deliver a message. What message? Coach O'Leary sent me. He wants you to know that you're still on the team, that he's counting on you for the second half of the season. He wants you at the game tomorrow and at school and practice next week. From inside the house, I heard his mother's voice. Her words were slurred as if she'd been drinking. Trent, who is it? Is that the police? It's nobody, he called back to her. Then close the door. You're letting the heat out. Yeah, yeah, he answered. He looked back at me. For a moment, I thought he might say something. Trent, close the damn door, his mother shrieked. All right, he shouted back. And then he did close it, right in my face. When I returned, Mom wanted to hear what had happened. What do you think he's going to do? She asked when I'd finished. I don't know. Steve Clay, was he there? I almost told her about the shouting in the background, but decided to let it drop. I didn't see him, but I heard his voice. She pursed her lips. At least he's still living there. He's only he's only stable influence in that house. I headed downstairs and toward my room. Nick, she called after me. I forgot to ask how practice went. It was fine, I said. No problems. Around 10 o'clock, I heard it, the sound of a basketball on concrete. When I looked out the window, there was Trent in the night rain playing basketball. He was alone, but he played with the fire you bring to a championship game, driving the lane, pump-faking invisible defenders, snatching rebounds, whirling this way and that. Most people would have thought he looked ridiculous, and I guess he did, but I knew what he was doing. He was playing imaginary games in his mind, the same way I had on many summer afternoon. Many a summer afternoon at Kane Park. Only for him it was different, because when I'd play my imaginary games, it was only Scott I destroyed. Trent was taking on the world. Dun dun dun. The end of chapter three there. Man, 
I was thinking, Trent kind of reminds me, like when when Trent had that um, temper tantrum and he slammed the ball. I was like, this reminds me of someone I know. This reminds me of myself. <laughs> I saw a little bit of myself in Trent. I was like, I used to have temper tantrums all the time, especially on the sports fields. So I thought that was interesting. I got. I think. I think it's always. It's always cool to like see bits of yourself and characters from movies and books and TV shows. That's what make. That's what make them so interesting. Because we like people like themselves. We like ourselves. Um, speaking of liking, speaking of liking ourselves, let's talk Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> Say it does not make sense, but that's okay. Let's get into it. Let's get into the uh, the show. Show. I think uh, we've been putting it off for long enough now. If you don't know what the show show is about, we just go through the star or stars IMDb filmography. So we'll start with Jennifer Aniston. And speaking of Jennifer Aniston, she actually was in the news. Let's see, what was she in the news for? Her in um. We just talked about this dude, what, a couple episodes ago, um, in the Angelina Jolie episode, Jennifer Anson reuniting with Brad Pitt's mom, and then it says, Brad Pitt, Jennifer Anson secretly eloped in Mexico. Jennifer Anson reconsiders marrying Brad Pitt after a plane scare. Oh, she had like a near crash or something? Um, yeah, so it looks like Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston have double dates with Amal and George Clooney. Ooh, that's probably in TMZ. Um, yeah, I guess that's a big rumor nowadays. Sounds like Benifer, not Benifer, that's Ben and, what, what are, what are Brad and Jennifer, no, they are Benifer, right? Because it's Brangelina Benifer. Because you know how they have the names? Benifer is Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wait, but Benifer could also be Brad Pitt and Jennifer Hansen. They could be... I guess they could be Brennifer. They'd be Brennifer. And then um, that's what uh, the portmanteau... That's what a portmanteau is. When you combine combine two words, an example, Benifer, or um, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, Brangelina. Okay, <laughs> okay, enough of that. Let's get back to um, Jennifer, not Benifer, Jennifer, her IMDb. Uh, I also was going to look up some yoga poses, so... That was something else that was on my mind. Let's see. I don't know why. I was I've always wanted yoga's been one of those things that like my best self might do. <laughs> I've always wanted to do it. I wanna do um hot yoga. I want because I like saunas. I like just sweating just sweating stuff out. Just just it feels so refreshing and like reinvigorating and reinvigorating. Just invigorating. 
Um, I need to get reinvigorated. I guess you could. Um, let's see. I want hot yoga facts. Yeah, hot yoga. Just the idea of just... Like, if you ever just sweat it out, just just feels amazing after that. Ten interesting facts about hot yoga. See? There we go. From um, uselessdaily.com. What a weird name for your website. Why would you want to call your website useless? I feel like that's not a good... It's not a good term to associate with <laughs> people are just going to think your website is useless. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it. Let's see. Google. Google. Uh, uh, 1988. This is Jennifer Anson's IMDb filmography. She is a dancer in McDonald's. Oh my gosh. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I've eaten McDonald's on this podcast more than a few times. Making me crave McDonald's. I was just thinking that earlier this morning. I'm not going to get it today, but maybe tomorrow. We'll see. The roads are definitely completely clear, so we're good to go. No more snow. All the snow's going away here in here in Pullman. It's uh, 1.07 p.m. right now on... Friday, March 15th, 2019. So she was in something called Mac and Me. Um, wow, I wonder if it's Mac, like Ronald McDonald. It's her and Ronald McDonald. That's the that's what this one's about. Interesting. Because she's a dancer at McDonald's. Uncredited. Which I no longer have to get upset about because I looked it up. We We looked it up and we found out what it means. Um, it means that her name did not appear in the beginning or end credits on the screen, on the movie. On the movie. But it's listed here in IMDb. See, very good. Don't have to get frustrated about it anymore. Um, Malloy, a TV series from 1990. Malloy. She plays Courtney Walker for seven episodes. TV movie? We see a ton of TV movies. Camp. Kukamanga. She plays Ava Schechter. What? I did not know this. I didn't know that there was a 1990 to 91 TV show. She plays Jeannie Bueller. 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 And Ferris Bueller. I did not know that there was a TV show based on the movie. This is my favorite movie of all time. I should have known that. This half-hour situation comedy uh, followed the high school adventures of Ferris Bueller and his friends. Who plays... Wait, who plays Ferris Bueller? Charlie... Schlatt... Charlie Schlatter? Schlatter? (laughs) Schlatter? I'm about to get schlattered. Oh, man. Don't talk to Dave right now. He can barely walk. He's schlattered. Um... Wow, I love how there's a Ferris Bueller TV show. I'm going to have to check that out. See if that's on Netflix. Uh, Let's see, Quantum Leap TV show, 1992. Kiki Wilson. I like the name Kiki. I remember there was a a girl named Kiki in my junior high. She was in my group when we went to 
we went to like this NASA, some NASA place or something. Oh no, it must have been the Museum of Flight. Yeah, that was probably it. Down in Renton. Man, I don't know how I remember that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, she's in my group. I think my mom was a um. I think my mom was one of those counselors. Where where do you call them? Not counselor, but chaperone. A chaperone. It must have been a really good field trip. Because I remember. I definitely remember they had lots of cool, like, simulation kind of things. I'm sure they have way more that you could do now. Like, they probably have some virtual reality in there. But that makes me think of that. I think it's Disneyland. Maybe it's Universal. That ride where you sit. It's like hang gliding. And you sit like you're hang gliding and then they spray wind at you and then they spray smells at you and all that stuff. I like that one. I like the interactive rides. The virtual realities. Oh, we'll have to talk my favorite uh, Disneyland rides. Let's bring them up. We have so many different, we're juggling so many things in the air right now. I feel like, I feel like I got a show at Vegas right now. I'm juggling so many things in the air. Let's look up uh, Disneyland rides. Because I was going to say another one of my favorite ones is um, Haunted Mansion, of course. Love the Haunted Mansion ride. Um, we might as well just uh, Matterhorn. Yeah, that's a good one. Pirates of the Caribbean. Have not been there since then. Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. I think that's the... Is that like the wooden roller coaster? It's a small world. Isn't it's a small world part of Splash Mountain? Um, it's a small world. Is a water-based dark ride located in the fantasy land. Yeah, I remember. For some reason, I thought it's a small world was just right before Splash Mountain, but I guess not. Um, Space Mountain is a really good one. Yes, that might be my favorite. And I think I remember the Matterhorn being good, too. The bobsleds. Wait, let's see what Space Mountain. Space Mountain's a good one. Um, <laughs> I haven't been there since, like, the Harry Potter stuff opened. There's a lot of stuff I don't even... Let's just look at uh, Indiana Jones Adventures, a good one, too. With the giant boulder. I love being in that cart. <laughs> I could just ride around everywhere in that like little wooden cart thing. That like wine gets delivered in. A barrel of wine gets delivered in for some reason. Uh, I love it. I love those carts. Um, let's see. I don't know why I love them so much, but I just do. Space Mountain. It, Walt Disney. Walt Disney originally conceived the idea of a space-themed roller coaster for Disneyland following the success of the Matterhorn, which opened in 1959. Wow, that's a long time. However, a number of factors, including lack of available space, Walt Disney's death, and the Disney Company's focus on building what would become World War... Or Walt Disney. Um, Walt Disney World's... I don't know why I was thinking World War. Walt, Walt Disney... World led to the project's postponement in the late 1960s. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, in 1977, 
Soon after, Disney began plans to build a smaller version of Space Mountain at Disneyland and opened Disneyland Space Mountain in 1977. Okay. Very good. Very good. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'd say Space Mountain and Indiana Jones and probably the Matterhorn and Splash Mountain. Those are like four favorites right there. In no particular order. So 1993, back to, back to Jennifer Aniston, back to Benifer, Jennifer. This is a appropriate movie, holiday coming up here. Leprechaun, she plays Tori Redding. 1992 to 93, The Edge, she plays various characters for 20 episodes. Herman's Head. The TV show ninety two to ninety three, she plays Susie Brooks. Two episodes. It spells Susie two different ways, with a Y and with the I E. Can't seem to make up her mind, or someone can't make up their mind. <laughs> um, muddling through. Madeline Drago Cooper, a TV show from nineteen ninety four. She's in a ton of TV shows before Friends. 94, Burke's Law, uh, TV show, Linda Campbell, a video short from 1995 called, oh, this is a, this has to do with friends, The Remembrance, The Remembrance, I'll be there for you, plays Rachel Green, I did not know that Rachel's last name was Green, so I looked that up today. I was pretty surprised to find that. Like, I knew Ross and Monica Geller, but I did not know Rachel Green. And Joey Tribbiano. Um, Joey Tribbiano. How you doing? How you doing? Uh, whoops. I clicked on Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Walls. That's a video short from 1996 where she plays... Woman with pigtails next to Cage. Um, more if it's like one of those. I don't know, next to a cage. Maybe it's like a lion cage. She's hanging out with Mike Tyson. Maybe Siegfried and Roy. Uh, so nineteen ninety five. <laughs> TV show, the Larry Sanders show. She plays herself. I heard this was a good show. This was um, Gary Shandling passed away pretty recently. Let's see. Excuse me. She's in a TV show in 1996 called Partners. She plays CPA Susan. Suzanne. She is in Dream for an Insomniac from 1996, a movie. It's a paradox. It's an oxymoron. She plays Allison. Dream for an insomnia. Uh, She's in She's the One. She plays Renee, 1996. Steven Spielberg's director's chair, a video game from 96. She plays Laura. Wait, so there's a video game where you can be a direct movies? You can be a director in this game? What? Never heard of it. Never heard of it. I love it, though. 
Love it. <laughs> Innovative. Finally, a video game for movie fans. They made the ones for the, the rock band, the guitar hero, the dancing. Now a video game for movie fans. <laughs> That's weird. We gotta see what... Let's see what Steven Spielberg's director shares. It's a movie-making simulation game. In the game, the player is guided by Steven Spielberg appearing as himself through the comprehensive process of movie-making, including script writing, filming, and editing, using pre-generated film clips featuring Jennifer Anson, Quinn Tarantino, Catherine Hellman, and Penn and & Teller, among others. As the player advances in experience, his script and shot options increase. Okay, wow. So that is like a legit, that is exactly what it is. It's a movie-making game. Teaches you how to be a director. Interesting. Uh, 1997. Picture perfect. She plays Kate. Also 97, she plays Debbie in Till There Was You. 98, plays Nina Borowski, Borowski, the object of my affection. 98, the thin pink line, plays Clove. 99, or 98, TV show, Hercules, plays Galatea, one episode. Uh, 99, Office Space, this was a good one, plays Joanna. Three company workers who hate their jobs decide to rebel against their greedy boss. Rate R, 89 minutes, comedy. Uh, classic. Ron Livingston. This was a Mike Judge movie. I've talked about how I don't, not a big fan of King of the Hill or Beavis and Butthead, really, but I do like Office Space. The classic scene where they destroy the, uh, was it the fax machine or the printer with baseball bats in the field? And it's like, all I want to do is psh, 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 and I've, ching, make my money. It's that one song. All I want to do is bang, 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 and I fling, ching, make my money. <laughs> Hollywood scores and bone, pirate scores and bones. Sticks and stones and weed and stones. It's that one. Um, it's that one. She, oh, she was the voice in South Park. Wow, that's a surprise. <laughs> wow. 1999, she played Mrs. Stevens, choir teacher in South Park. Oh, this was another classic. From my childhood, I remember this one. She is the voice of Annie Hughes. In the Iron Giant. Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Hey, I'm the Iron Giant. Family. Family's important. Um, That's my Vin Diesel. 86 minutes PG animation action adventure. A young boy befriends a giant robot from outer space that a paranoid government agent wants to destroy. This is a great movie. Great movie. I mean, I haven't seen it for like maybe 20 years, but I definitely enjoyed it for what it was, for what it is. Uh, 2001, 
She's in Rockstar. Emily Poole. Uh, oh, this is the... We talked about this one in episode two. Hey, how you guys doing? You doing good? It's Mark Wahlberg. It's Rockstar. Um, I'm, I'm a Rockstar, guys. I'm a lead singer for Tribute Band. Becomes lead singer of the real band. First I was a re- lead singer of a tribute band. Now I'm a real band. Um, it's Marky Mark. Mark Wahlberg. Very good. <laughs> 2002. The Good Girl. Justine Last. Justine Last. Uh, she's in a TV series documentary. 2003. Freedom. A History of Us. She plays Jesse Benton in one episode. Ah, speaking of King of the Hill, here it is. Pepperoni Sue and Stephanie in one episode. 2003. She's in... Oh, this is another pretty good one. Bruce Almighty, 2003. Grace Connolly. PG-13, 101 minutes, comedy, drama, fantasy... A guy who complains about God too often is given almighty powers to teach him how difficult it is to run the world. That guy is Jim Carrey. It's a classic, classic, classic crazy Jim Carrey movie. Um, Where he gets too much power and just goes nuts. Oh, this is another good one. I remember seeing this in theaters. We talked about this one a few episodes back. Who's in it? She plays um Polly Prince in Along Came Polly, 2004. Oh yeah, of course, Ben Siller, of course, of course. Episode 16. Uh huh. A buttoned up newlywed finds his too organized life falling into chaos when he falls in love with an old classmate. Yes, I remember. I remember that. That's a great movie. That has a great uh, pickup basketball, a hilarious pickup basketball scene with uh, the, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, here, here we go. Here's the one. Here's her uh, show supper. The moneymaker. The one we all know her for. 1994 to 2004. Rachel Green for 236 episodes. Dang, it's a lot of episodes. Friends, uh, 2005, she's Lucinda Harris in Derailed, 2005, Rumor Has It, plays Sarah Huddinger, 06, Friends with Money, plays Olivia, I want to see what Rumor Has It was, Sarah Huddinger is a woman who learns that her family was inspiration for the book and film The Graduate and that she just might be the offspring of the well-documented event. What? So it's like one of those movies that lives in the universe of another movie. Or at least in this movie's universe, The Graduate exists. Wow, that's so funny. I love it when they reference other movies in movies. (laughs) That's always... It's always, like, fun to see, like, if you're watching, like, some new movie and they watch, like, they're watching Field of Dreams in the background or something. I was thinking that because Kevin Costner's in this one. 
Um, but yeah, I always love it. I love seeing what movie they show in a, in the movie. You know what I'm saying? We've talked about it before. Actually, no, that's a little different than what we talked about before. What we were talking about before was Jack Black. This was like a few episodes back, so you're probably like, what do you mean talking about before? No, a few episodes back, we were talking about Jack Black being in a fake movie in The Office. And, and then I got into talking the best fake movies in movies. Um, like, there's a few, but kind of like in uh, Tropic Thunder, they do it a few times. It was the Ben Siller episode that we were talking about that. <laughs> now I'm just all confused. I'm even I'm confused. Um let's just move on. I think I think the best thing to do is just to move on. <laughs> let's see what uh Friends with Money was. Friends with Money, 88 Minutes, Raid R, uh Rom-com Drum. After she quits her lucrative job, Olivia finds herself unsure about her future and her relationships with her successful and wealthy friends. Her friends with money. With the monies. Um, let's see. 2006, The Breakup. She plays Brooke Myers. This was the one with Vince Vaughn. Yep. Hey, Vince Vaughn. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, what's up? What's up? Uh, that's tough. Vince Vaughn's a... It's not an easy one to try. Uh, 106 minutes, PG-13. Rom-com drum. She's in a lot of rom-com drums. Uh, in a bid to keep their luxurious condo from their significant other, a couple's breakup su- proceeds to get uglier and nastier by the moment. That's a funny... A funny tandem. Jennifer Anderson and Vince Vaughn. Sure, there's some humor in that. Uh, she's in a TV show, 2007, called Dirt. She plays Tina Herod. This was on FX. It's like a. It looks kind of like a Archer, like an Archer knockoff. It's just a cartoon. FX Fearless. I think it's Fearless. Um, let's see, 2008 Management. She plays Sue. Uh, let's see what management was. She's in that one with Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn. Hilarious on Modern Family. His character on Modern Family is so funny. Uh, another rom-com drama. Um, a traveling art salesman. Saleswoman. Tries to shake off a flaky motel manager who falls for her and won't leave her alone. Okay. Yeah, on Martin Family, he's uh, the Dumphy's new neighbor. His family moves in next door, and they're just like crazy rednecks, and they're so funny. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And that's during the uh, Halloween, and the Dumphy's always do like funny uh, Halloween decorations in their house. I think that's when they did the, uh, it was like a Wonderland or something, or... Candyland. I think they called it Candyland. It was like a weird a weird twist on Halloween. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm obsessed with Modern Family. Kind of obsessed with the show. Um, speaking of shows I like, Jennifer Aniston's in 30 Rock. TV show 2008. She plays Claire Harper. One episode. 
Oh, here's a sad one. You got the book at home. I haven't had the heart to read it, though. Marley and Me. She plays Jenny. 2008. The dog one. With, with, uh, wow. 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 That's my own Wilson. Wow. 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 Okay. <laughs> Uh, 150 minutes. Wow. Red PG. They lift. They listed this movie <laughs> as a comedy. I thought this was like the saddest movie ever, but they listed as a comedy. Comedy drama family. Wow. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about it. A family learns important life lessons from their adorable but naughty and neurotic dog. It's a neurotic dog. So it's like. Some moody dog, I guess. Uh, never heard of a neurotic dog. Usually they're just sleep and eat and go for walks and so that dog has a lot going on though. Uh, Two thousand nine. He's just not that into you. He plays Beth. I think that movie just came up like a couple episodes ago. Uh, Two thousand nine. Love happens. He plays Eloise. She's in a ton of rom-coms. Uh, 2010, The Bounty Hunter plays Nicole Hurley. 2010, The Switch plays Cassie Larson. I think this one was kind of funny. I don't think I've seen any of it, but maybe a tiny bit on TV, though. For some reason, maybe it's just because I'm a big fan of uh, Jason Bateman. That must be why. He's uh, He's in it with a... Seven years after the fact, a man comes to the realization that he was the sperm donor for his best friend's boy. See, that's why I thought it was funny. Because that is a funny... That's a funny twist on the plot right there. I like like a good twist on the rom-com genre. Not just a typical... What was the bounty hunter? That was the one with Gerard... Gerard Butler. Uh... 110 minutes. It's a long rom-com. Oh, it's an action movie, too. PG-13. A bounty hunter learns that his next target is his ex-wife, a reporter working on a murder cover-up. Soon after that reunion, the always-at-odds duo find themselves on a run-for-their-life's adventure. Okay. Okay. Um, I remember, like, in that commercial... There was some sort of scene, someone in a trunk. That seems to be a popular movie trope for these action movies. I don't know why I remember that, but I just remember like Gerard Butler like slamming, slamming the trunk of a car or something. Very specific memory. Uh, TV series 2010. It's her old buddy Monica's TV show, Cougar Town. She plays Glenn for one episode. 2011, she's in Just Go With It. Um, plays um Catherine. This was the uh. What was this? What was this? <laughs> this was the Adam Sandler one. We talked about this in the Adam Sandler episode, episode eleven. Oh, Hanukkah, <laughs> Hanukkah. <laughs> 
uh, on a weekend trip to, to Hawaii. Plastic surgeon convinces his loyal assistant to pose as a soon-to-be divorced wife in order to cover up a careless lie he told to his much younger girlfriend. Yep, I remember reading that exactly. And I probably said, I probably said 117 minutes? That's a long rom-com. Um, let's see. I think now is a good time. I'm going to dip my toe back into The Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoff. This is kind of similar to You Are Here, uh, Tick by Tick Nhat Han, that book that we were reading in the past episodes. But, but now we're reading The Tao of Pooh. Relating Winnie the Pooh to um, the Chinese philosophy of Taoism. I love this stuff. This is this brings back memories, Winnie the Pooh memories. <laughs> I wonder how old how old I was when I thought that I'd finally grown out of Winnie the Pooh. Maybe maybe like second grade, first grade. No, not that. Probably like first grade. I was like, I'm too old for this. I need, I need to start falling. I need to get poke. I'm too old for this. I need to get some Pokemon cards. But I shouldn't be making fun of that though, because Pokemon's like a big thing in college. <laughs> like, there's people my age that still collect Pokemon cards. I think, and they were doing that uh, Pokemon Go. Remember Pokemon Go? Oh my gosh, people are just running around like McDonald's. <laughs> I just got McDonald's on my mind. People are running around food courts and movie theaters and malls and baseball stadiums and just going everywhere, grocery stores, just pointing their phone, looking for those Pokemon. I can't believe that. I can't believe that was actually a thing. That's so insane. <laughs> People do anything. That's crazy. All right. All right. That was like the biggest thing in the world for like a few months there. Any hoozles. Enough Pokemon talk. This is a Spelling Tuesday. It's the name of the chapter. Through copes and spinny marched bare, down open slopes of gorse and heather, over rocky beds of streams, up steep banks of sandstone, into the heather again, and so at last, tired and hungry, to the hundred-acre wood, for it was in the hundred-acre wood the owl lived. And if anyone knows anything about anything said Bear to himself. It's Al who knows something about something, he said. Or my name's not Winnie the Pooh, he said. Which it is, he added. So there you are. So now we come to Al's house, as some of us have so many times before, searching for answers to questions of one sort or another. Will we find the answers here? Before we go in and take a look around, it seems appropriate to have a few background remarks about the kind of scholar that Al represents in relation to the attitudes and principles of Taoism that we are concerned with here. To begin with, it is necessary to point out that in China, scholars were generally Confucianist in training and orientation, and therefore often spoke a somewhat different language from the Taoists, who tended to see Confucianist scholars as busy ants, busy ants spoiling the picnic of life, rushing back and forth to pick up the bits and pieces dropped from above, in the final section of the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tse wrote, The wise are not learned, the learned are not wise. Oh, I, I feel like a sneeze is about... 
Bless me. Oh, excuse me. I think that was the first sneeze on the podcast for that, right there. Holy cow. I hope I hope I didn't blow out your eardrums right there. Um, okay. Uh, the wise do not learn. The learned are not wise. An attitude shared by countless Taoists before and since. Okay, one second. This is me. I need to make a brief tangent here. That sneeze just reminded me of uh, Josh Nelson, a kid I went to school with, like from elementary school, like from kindergarten through senior year of high school. He was always at my school. And he always wore orange. Like he would always, that was his favorite color of all time. And he would always wear at least like one article of orange clothing, like every day. I mean, I just want to mention that because if you knew Josh, then you thought orange, you think orange first. Um, I wonder if that was his favorite fruit too. That'd be funny if he was like, no, I, I hate oranges, <laughs> the fruit. He's like, I don't like them. But uh, anyway, I bring up Josh because um, he used to sneeze like whenever he sneezed, it would be four or five times in a row. So, so that's just what, like, I don't know why, I just, that instantly popped in my head right when I sneezed there. I was like, good, at least, at least I don't have the sneezing habits of Josh. I just would have four more in a row coming, coming right, right, right on deck. But I just thought that was crazy. Um, let's see. From the Taoist point of view, while the scholarly in intellect may be useful for analyzing certain things, deeper and broader matters are beyond its limited reach. The Taoist writer Chung Si worded it this way. A well frog cannot imagine the ocean, nor can a summer insect conceive of ice. How then can a scholar understand the Tao? He is restricted by his own learning. This and other selections from classic oriental texts are my own translations and adaptations. Adaptations. It seems rather odd somehow that Taoism, the way of the whole man, the true man, the spirit man, to use a few Taoist terms, is for the most part interpreted here in the West by the scholarly owl, by the brain, that that academic in uh, the dry as dust, absent-minded professor, far from reflecting the Taoist ideal of wholeness and independence, this incomplete and unbalanced creature divides all things all kinds of abstract things into little categories and compartments. While remaining rather hopeless and disorganized in his daily life, uh, while remaining rather helpless and disorganized in his daily life, rather than learn from Taoist teachers and from direct experience, he learns intellectually and indirectly from books. And since he doesn't usually put Taoist principles into practice in an everyday sort of way, he, his explanations of them tend to leave out some rather important details such as how they work and where you can apply them. On top of that, it's very hard to find any of the spirit of Taoism in the lifeless writings of the humorless academic mortician whose bleached out scholarly dissertations contain no more of the character of Taoist wisdom than does a typical wax museum. But that is the sort of thing we can expect from the abstract owl the dried, uh, dried up Western descendant of the Confucianist dedicated scholar, who, unlike his noble but rather unimaginative ancestor, thinks he has some sort of monopoly on. What's that? Pooh interrupted. What's what? I asked. 
what what you just said, the Confucianist desiccated scholar. Well, let's see. The Confucianist desiccated scholar is one who knows, who studies knowledge for the sake of knowledge, and who keeps what he learns to himself or to his own small group, writing pompous and pretentious papers that no one else can understand, rather than working for the enlightenment of others. How's that? Much better, said Pooh. Al is about to illustrate the Confucianist desiccated scholar, I said. I see, said Pooh. Which brings us back to Al. Let's see. How did Rabbit describe the situation with Al? Oh, here it is. You can't help respecting anybody who can spell Tuesday, even if it doesn't spell it right. Even if he doesn't spell it right. But spelling isn't everything. There are days when spelling Tuesday simply doesn't count. By the way, Pooh, how do how do you spell Tuesday? Spell what? asked Pooh. Tuesday, you know, Monday, Tuesday. My dear Pooh, said Al, everybody knows how to sp- that is spelled with a two. Is it? asked Pooh. Asked Pooh. Of course, said Al. After all, it's the second day of the week. Oh, is that the way it works? asked Pooh. All right, Al, I said. Then what comes after Tuesday? Thursday, said Al. Al, you're just confusing things, I said. <laughs> this is the day after Tuesday, and it's not thirds. I mean Thursday. Then what is it? asked Al. It's today, squeaked Piglet. My favorite day, said Pooh. <laughs> Ours, too. We wonder why the scholars don't think much of it. Perhaps it's because they confuse themselves thinking about other days so much. Now, one would, one rather annoying thing about scholars is that they are always using big words that some of us can't understand. Well, said Al, the customary procedure in such cases is as follows. What does crustimony proceed cake mean, said Pooh? For, for I am a bear of very little brain, and the long words bother me. It means the thing to do. As long as it means that, I don't mind, said Pooh humbly. And one sometimes gets the impression that those intimidating words are there to keep us from understanding. That way the scholars can appear superior and will not likely be suspected of not knowing something. After all, from the scholarly point of view, it's practically a crime not to know everything. But sometimes this knowledge of a scholar is a bit hard to understand because it doesn't seem to match up with our own experience of things. In other words, knowledge and experience do not necessarily speak the same language. But it isn't the knowledge that comes from from experience. Isn't the knowledge that comes from experience more valuable than the knowledge that doesn't? It seems fairly obvious to some of us that a lot of scholars need to go outside and sniff around, walk through the grass, talk to the animals, that sort of thing. Lots of people talk to animals, said Pooh. Maybe, but not very many listen, though, he said. That's the problem, he added. In other words, you might say that there's more to knowing than just being correct. As the mystical poet Han Shan wrote, A scholar named Wang laughed at my poems. The accents are wrong, he said. Too many beats. The meter is poor. The wording impulsive. I laugh at his poems as he laughs at mine. They read like the words of a blind man describing the sun. Quite often, struggling like a scholar over re- relative, <clears throat> relatively unimportant matters can make 
one increasingly confused. Pooh described the Confucianist state of mind quite accurately. On Monday, when the sun is hot, I wonder to myself a lot. Now, is it true or is it not that what is which and which is what? On Tuesday, when it hails and snows, the feeling on me grows and grows that hardly anybody knows if those are these and these are those or these are those. On Wednesday, when the sky is blue and I have nothing else to do, I sometimes wonder if it's true that who is what and what is who. On Thursday, when it starts to freeze and hoar, frost twinkles on the trees, how very readily one sees that these are whose, but whose are these? On Friday, yes, whose are these anyway? To the desiccated scholars, putting names on things is the most vital activity in the world. <coughs> Excuse me. Tree, flower, dog, but don't ask them to prune the tree, plant the flower, or take care of the dog unless you enjoy unpleasant surprises. Living, growing things are living, growing things are beyond them, it seems. Now scholars can be very useful and necessary in their own dull and unamusing way. They provide a lot of information. It's just that there's something more, and that something more is what life is really all about. Oops. Say Pooh. Have you seen have you seen my other pencil? I saw Al using it a while ago, said Pooh. Oh, here it is. What's this? Aardvarks and their aberrations. Beg pardon, said Pooh. Aardvarks and their aberrations. What Al was writing about. Oh, were they? said Pooh. Say, this pencil's all chewed up. One more funny thing about knowledge. That of the scholar, the scientist, or anyone else. It always wants to blame the mind of the uncarved block what it calls ignorance, for problems that it causes itself, either directly or indirectly, through its own limitations, nearsightedness, or neglect. For example, if you build your house where the wind can blow it over, then let it go to pieces while you, are, while you worry about how to spell marmalade, what is likely to happen? Of course, anybody knows that. Yet when Al's house falls down, what does he have to say about it? Pooh, said Al severely. Did you do that? No, said Pooh humbly. I don't think so. Then who did? I think it was the wind, said Piglet. I think your house has blown down. Oh, is that it? I thought it was Pooh. No, said Pooh. For the chapter's concluding word about knowledge, for the sake of knowledge, let's recall an incident from the house at Pooh Corner. Eeyore was busy intimidating Piglet with something he'd made from three sticks. Do you know what A means, little Piglet? No, Eeyore, I don't. It means learning. It means education. It means all the things that you and Pooh haven't got. That's what A means. Oh, said Piglet again. I mean, does it? He explained quickly. I'm telling you, people come and go in this forest, and they say, it's only Eeyore, so it doesn't count. They walk to and fro, saying, Ha ha, but do they know anything about A? They don't. It's just three sticks to them. But to the educated, mark this little piglet. To the educated, not meaning poos and piglets, it's a great and glorious A. Not, he added, just something that anybody can come and breathe on. Then Rabbit came along. There's just one thing I want to ask you, Eeyore. What happens to Christopher Robin in the mornings nowadays? 
What's this that I'm what's this I'm looking at? said Eeyore, still looking at it. Three sticks, said Rabbit Rabbit promptly. You see, said Eeyore to Piglet. He turned to Rabbit. I will now answer your question, he said solemnly. Huh? Thank you, said Rabbit. What does Christopher Robin do in the morning? What does Christopher Robin do in the mornings? He learns. He becomes educated. He inst- instigorates. I think that is a word he mentioned, but I may be referring to something else. He instigorates knowledge. In my small way, I also, if I have the word right, am, am doing what he does. That, for instance, is an A, said Rabbit, but not a very good one. Well, I must get back and tell the others. Eeyore looked at his sticks and then looked at Piglet. He knew? You mean this A thing is a thing Rabbit knew? Yes, Eeyore, he's clever, Rabbit is. Clever, said Eeyore scornfully, putting a foot heavily on his three sticks. Education, said Eeyore bitterly, jumping on his six sticks. What is learning? asked Eeyore as he kicked his twelve sticks into the air. A thing Rabbit knows? Ha! So there. I know something that Rabbit doesn't know, said Piglet. Oh, what's that? I asked. Well, I can't remember what it's called, but... Oh, yes, that's what's coming up next, I said. Oh, what is it called? said Piglet, tapping his foot. Well, let's see. And that's where we will leave it off. Next chapter is going to be Coddleston Pie. Coddleston Pie did not make it on my uh, pie chart for my favorite pies yesterday. As yesterday was a... Pie day, you know? You know, March 14th, 3.14. I'm standing up right now. My leg was asleep. Sip of iced coffee there. For my blue Starbucks cup. Get me going here. I'm not wearing an Apple Watch. So I had to tell myself to stand up. That it was the correct time to stand up. Because um, didn't have a watch to tell me. Let's see. I think now, let's just hop, hop on back over. Let's keep doing it. Oh, we never we never read any um, hot yoga facts. Let's read a couple hot yoga facts before we get back to Jennifer. Let's see. Uh, Michelle Pernetta, a known yoga teacher, says hot yoga means exercising in a hot room. It was originally Bikram yoga, started by Bikram Shudari. Then other people started teaching different styles in a hot room, everything from Bikram yoga, power yoga. Um, from Bikram yoga, power yoga, to Ashtanga, or a personal mix from a teacher who may or might, may not be qualified to teach in hot position, hot conditions. So the term really just means you're doing yoga in a hot room. <laughs> it's like long story short. Um, like with regular yoga, hot yoga comes in all different styles. Hot yoga would probably be helpful with the mental aspect of training for a marathon. Excuse me. Um, you detoxify through sweating. The skin is the latest organ of the body. 
and research has shown that toxins such as unwanted metals and salts are eliminated through sweating. People find heat cathartic. It has the effect of relaxing you on a deep level, allowing you to go into places you couldn't normally reach, releasing mental and emotional stresses you don't normally get the opportunity to look at in a normal day life. You'll never want to eat fruit so badly. You might consider a single slice of orange after class a miracle fruit. Huh. Uh, there are less chances of injuries in such yoga as the heat allows you to press further into your poses uh, as your muscles and joints are at their optimum tensure. Deeper stretching brings more blood and oxygen to your body. So you can... It loosens you up more. It makes you more limber, looser. Yeah, I definitely... I like doing the sauna thing. I wonder how hot they... I think they do like just over 100 degrees. So there's nothing like a sauna. Uh, obviously, that'd be dangerous. <laughs> it's good for your skin. Going to hot yoga is like getting a free exfoliation treatment. Any dry or dead skin you'll have will rub right off. Um, despite its benefits, hot yoga has come under severe criticism from some fitness experts since the exercises are performed under extreme temperature. There have been cases of people fainting due to dizziness uh, because of the heat. Okay. What makes it even more dangerous is that instructors tell people that feeling nauseous and dizzy is normal and that they'll get over it. Huh, why do they say that? <laughs> I just picture Russell Brand's character from uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Just like the super British guy with like a ponytail and just like a masseur, a singing masseur. Hey, that's what, that's like what Russell Brand is basically. <laughs> it's like a singing masseur. Um, yeah, that's why I picture teaching that class, like super, uh, hippie, super Zen master guy. Um, that's funny. It's funny. Uh, fitness experts argue that sweating to release toxins may not be scientifically a good idea. What? If you're in a hot and humid environment, your ability to lose heat from sweating is hugely decreased because the air is already saturated. Uh, Dr. Stephen Chung, an expert in the area of heat stress, told the Globe and Mail. Some experts even suggest that extreme temperatures could damage proteins in the body. And finally, number 10. Uh, taking necessary precautions like hydration. Um, speaking of hydration, I need to get a sip of water. I know I just had some iced coffee, but rule number one of a Stars Born podcast, gotta stay hydrated. So here we go. From my Red Robins Gourmet Burgers and Brew. Thankfully, this isn't bottomless. Uh, my good old trusty water bottle. Let's see. Where were we here? Where were we? Uh, not just not eating just before class. Oh, so you're not supposed to eat right before class. It's like uh, swimming. Remember how you're not supposed to swim right after you eat? That's a remember that from going to the beach. Um, and consuming foods rich in sodium and potassium will certainly help. Oh, so you're supposed to wait? That's like counterintuitive for some reason. I always thought that sodium, I don't know, is it just me that, I thought salt dehydrated you, but I guess not, um, 
sodium. Let's see, sodium dehyd dehydration. The level of sodium in blood is too high. Yeah. So that's called hypernatremia. And that's when the level of sodium in blood is too high. And it involves dehydration, which, okay. Usually fluids are given intravenously to slowly reduce the sodium level in the blood. Uh, can dehydration cause low sodium, chronic severe vomiting or diarrhea, and other causes of dehydration? This causes your body to lose electrolytes such as sodium. Um, drinking excessive amounts of water can cause low sodium by overwhelming, overwhelming the kidneys. One second. Doorbell just rang. Hey, hey, yo, it's me again. Sorry for the abrupt commercial break right there. That was actually a dude from Coog uh, Housing. Yeah, they're here for the old spring break um, inspection of their apartments. I mentioned that a couple episodes ago. Uh, it's actually, it was a different dude than the guy who came and fixed our shower the other day. Because our shower drain was clogged. That was a... Kind of like the lead guy at Kook Housing for their maintenance team. He kind of reminds me of uh, Rex Ryan. Definitely reminds me of Rex Ryan uh, with a cowboy hat, though. This guy rocks a cowboy hat. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe him. He's just running around there. I saw him in the the parking lot. He was he was clearing out snow with a snowplower. Maybe like a big cat. Or something. What was that? That was yesterday, actually. That was on the, the big day when everyone had to clear their cars out of the parking lots. But there were still, there were still like five cars in there. Even though in the email it said uh, they might get towed if they didn't move them. And I guess all those people banded together. Is that what the bystander effect is? <laughs> no. Is that what that is? Like... That's when someone sees a crime, they witness crime, then they don't report it. But what about when, like, enough people don't do something that then the rule isn't applied? That's what happened. Because I guess they didn't, they just didn't want to tow five cars. But if only one person left their car in the parking lot, and then they probably would have towed them. You know? Okay. Um, so there's that. Let's do the, uh... Mariners update, final Mariners update of the day. The Red Sox fell to the Yankees 14-1 to in that spring training game. Damn, they got crushed. Okay, so there's your there's your Mariners update for the day. Um, Where were we with? Let's get back to Jennifer. Uh, cause we're, we're still in the first third. We're over two hours in, and we're still in the first third of this baby. Dang, this might be a two-parter. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, we just said just go with it. Oh, this is another great one. To 2011, horrible bosses. Dr. Julia Harris, DDS. What, does that mean dentist? DDS? Um, three friends conspired to murder their awful bar 
bosses when they realize they're standing in the way of their happiness. Those three friends are Jason Beatman, Jason Beatman, Charlie Day, and Jason Sudeikis. That's a hilarious movie. Uh, oh, this is a pretty funny one too. 2012, Wanderlust, Vanderlust. She plays Linda Gergenblatt. We talked about this one in the Paul Rudd episode. Speaking of Paul Rudd, now's a good time to talk about one of his movies. Year One and the old AMC Triple Feature. Cue that AMC Triple Feature music, baby. Let's do it. The year was 2009. Uh, We do this every episode. You know it. You've been with me. First 25. Um, 2009, June. I was with my best bud growing up, Stephen Ungrecht. I mentioned him earlier this episode. And we were at AMC Woodenville, the movie theater in downtown Woodenville, where I'd go on to work uh, less than seven years later, in uh, February 2016 to August 2016. Um, yes, yes. But we were celebrating. Uh, school had probably just got out for the summer. It was June. We were going to the movie, going to year one. Read PG-13. It's a caveman movie. It's a comedy. Jack Black and Michael Sarah. Um, I want to see who else. Let's see who else is in year one, because we haven't. We haven't looked at it for a while. I know that. Yeah, I can't think of anyone, other than Paul Rudd, uh, Michael Sarah, Harold Ramis is in it, the late Harold Ramis. Okay, Juno Temple's in it. David Cross, Olivia Wilde's in it, Hank Azaria. Okay, so there's some big names in there. Dang. <laughs> 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. One five. See? See, I told you guys, this this one was not a great one. Now let's look at uh, what what's his Land of the Lost is at. Ooh. Guess what Land of the Lost is at for Rotten Tomatoes? Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but we will in a second. 26% Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. That's rough. Um, yes, yes. So we went to year one, the 15% Rotten Tomatoes. So it was terrible. But I don't remember it being... I've ranked it below Land of the Lost. Or above Land of the Lost, excuse me. We enjoyed year one. Or I enjoyed year one more than Land of the Lost. That's just my opinion um, but anywho, so after year one, we hadn't got enough movie watching. We we just weren't quite done yet. So we walked over to the other side of the theater, uh, hopped over the chain link fence with barbed wire on top, and snuck in. <laughs> snuck in. Avoid the spotlight. Watch out for the guard dogs. Um, Mr. Burns, release the hounds. That's one of the greatest, like, character quotes of all time. To be associated with any TV character. Release the hounds. <laughs> it's just so great. Um, I don't know why I had to bring that up. But... And The Simpsons is always, like, kind of in the back of my mind. I've watched so much Simpsons episodes. That at one point, you just start to see yellow. You know? <laughs> you just start to see people. And then they, like, look like Simpsons characters. No, that's never happened to me, but... That'd be so weird, though. 
if you watch like 12 hours of Simpsons, then you like, you go to the gym and everyone just looks like Simpsons characters. That'd be weird. Uh, anywho, <laughs> that's a weird thought. I guess if you went to like the Simpsons, um, don't they have a theme park? Or Disneyland, does Disneyland might do something, or Legoland might do a Simpsons thing. They got some big characters there. They're walking around there. You'll run into them. Um, but what was I saying? I've gone so far off track. I was talking about the hangover. So that was the second part. That was leg two of our three-tiered, three-pronged approach to, to watching movies that day in 2009. Uh, the hangover was awesome, obviously. We talked about it episode three, Brody Stevens. And you got it. Brody Stevens, 818 till I die. You got it. Yes. Positive energy. Um, Yeah. After the hangover, we went to Land of Loss, and it was just terrible. Land of Loss was so bad. Will Ferrell, Anna Friel. Yeah, we talked about this. The very first episode of A Star is Born. We talked about Land Loss Episode 1, uh, the Will Ferrell episode. So, yeah, Anna Friel is in it, Danny McBride, Jorma Tacone, one-third of The Lonely Island. Um, yeah, this was a rough movie. It just didn't make any sense. Based on the Sid and, Mar- what, Sid and Marty Croft TV show from the 70s. Maybe you had to see the show to, to understand it, but... Anywho, that was your AMC triple feature. There we go. So, talk about that every episode. There we do. We did it. We did it. Uh, Jennifer Anson, um, 2012 TV show. Oh, we've seen this one a few times. This is the old Bachelor parody right here. Burning Love. She plays the bear slash Dana for two episodes. Uh, We're the Millers. This was a funny movie. 2013, she plays Rose O'Reilly. Then We're the Millers, The Millers Makeover. It's a short from 2013. Uh, We're the Millers. It's a, it's a good one. Comedy crime. I like the comedy. It's kind of a heist movie. That's probably why I like it so much. Because it falls in my favorite movie genres. Comedy. My, here's my favorite ones. Comedy, horror, heist, reunion, and then we're still trying to figure out the uh, the judges are still debating if they're gonna let Boardwalk in. Is Boardwalk a movie genre? <clears throat> Maybe we should put up a Twitter poll for that one. I do like a Boardwalk movie, um, but this is kind of a comedy. It's a heist movie, I would say. A veteran pot dealer creates a fake family as part of his plan to move a huge shipment of weed into the U.S. from Mexico. And he's played by Jason Sudeikis. Emma Roberts and Will Poulter play the kids. And then uh, Jennifer Anderson's mom. It's a good one. I'm surprised they haven't made a sequel to that one yet. I'm sure that they probably will someday. That's on the table. Uh, 2013, Life of Crime. She plays Mickey Dawson. 2014, She's Funny That Way. She plays Jane Claremont. 
Okay, there's six people on the cover of this movie. So I gotta see who's in this. It's like the movie posters. It's like one of those things where it kind of looks like Hollywood Squares. And there's six different people. Owen Wilson's. Oh, wow. I'm in. Wow. Owen Wilson. Imogen Poots. Um, yeah, I don't really recognize these names. Okay, that's okay. She's funny that way. 93 Miss. Dromcom. Radar. On the set of a playwright's new project, a love triangle forms between his wife, her ex-lover, and the girl-turned-actress cast in the production. Um, okay, okay. Let's see. Oh, she's in... I remember this one. I, I never saw it. But I think I remember seeing it on Netflix all the time. And it made me hungry. For Cake. She plays Claire Bennett. And it made me want to listen to good uh, ska folk music. From a band from Sacramento. Called Cake. Um, it's 102 Minutes. It's a drama. Raid R. Claire becomes fascinated by the suicide of a woman in her chronic pain support group while grappling with her own very raw personal tragedy. That's a Anna Kendrick's in it too. Very serious movie. Uh twenty fourteen. Very serious movie with a very tasty title. Why is it called Cake? That's kind of a weird t- that's a weird name for that movie. <laughs> it should definitely have like a more serious name, I think. Cake. It's like it's the name of a Guy Fieri movie. Guy Fieri. Um okay. Horrible Bosses 2, 2014, Dr. Julia Harris, DDS. I gotta see what DDS stands for. DDS meaning yep. Doctor of Dental Surgery. Yep, it there we go. Makes sense. 2016, Mother's Day. She plays Sandy. Uh, we've definitely talked about this one. Who did we talk about this one with? Was this... This may have been uh, Penelope. I think it was Penelope. Um, Yeah, it's one of those classic... They're going to make a movie for every holiday. How have they not made one for St. Patrick's Day? Like one of those romance... One of those rom-coms. It's coming up. It's a... Uh, St. Patty's Day. St. Patty's Day. Drink some beer. Drink some green beer. Mm. Two days from now. Uh, I like doing... Oh, St. Patrick's Day. That makes me think of doing the uh, St. Patrick's Day race. Like 5K with my dad in Seattle. And yeah, it's super fun. So many people do that. I think there's over like 10,000 people that run that race. Just right in downtown Seattle. I think it's near the it's near the Space Needle. There's a beer garden after, like in the Seattle Center. Bunch of green beer. Probably a bunch of Guinness. In a what's the other one? Jameson's. Except Jameson's is that's not beer. That's like whiskey. Um. All right. Anywho. 2016, she's a voice in Storks uh, of Sarah Gardner. Uh, 2016, Office Christmas Party. She plays Carol Vanstone. I saw this one. 
this was uh, when I worked at AMC, Winneville, at the movie theater. This was out. Saw this one for free, I believe. Uh, when his uptight CEO's sister threatens to shut down his branch, the branch manager throws an epic Christmas party in order to land a big client and save the day. But the party gets way out of hand. It's 105 minutes, rated R, comedy. Uh, 2017. Let's see. Before I read that next one, oh my gosh, the office Christmas party, or just office Christmas party, it's actually hilarious. It's actually a really funny movie. There's a good scene with like a goat. Um, I don't. It's crazy. Like, stuff gets blown up. There's lots of... It's like Michael Bay directed it. It's like a comedy directed by Michael Bay or something. Alright. Let's read a little bit of Now I Can Die in Peace by Bill Simmons. How ESPN Sports Guy found salvation with a little help from no more Pedro Shawshank and the 2004 Boston Red Sox. Um, yeah, I've talked about Bill Simmons pretty much every episode, so why not? Why break the streak now? I'm going to go all Cal Ripken on y'all. Cal Ripken Jr. Here we go. Uh, 20, this is called a date with destiny. It's a column from August 29th, 2000. And all these columns lead up to the Red Sox winning the World Series in 2004. So, 20 thoughts after tonight's Red Sox game, which was simply the most mesmerizing regular season baseball game of my lifetime. Footnote, I posted this column at 3.30 a.m. that night. The witching hour. Um, Is that the witching hour? Is that what it's called? No, I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> I was going to look it up, but it's a Lego. So, something like that. Uh, Number one, only... 249 batters have hit for the cycle, and 224 people have pitched no-hitters in the history of baseball. Tonight in Tampa, both things nearly happened in the same game. What are the odds? Infinity to one? Throw in the fact that an Italian guy, footnote, that was Lou Merloni, the quintessential Sox player who nobody could judge accurately because he was a local guy. You could be a 240 hitter with no power, no range, and a throwing arm made out of fettuccine. But if you grew up in Framington, that gave you permanent immunity in New England. If Buckner had grown up in Dorchester, everyone would have blamed Bob Stanley for losing Game 6 at Shea. Alright, one second. Sip of water here. Mm. Very good. Dorchester. Frickin', frickin' Bill Buckner. Um, here we go. Throw in the fact that the Italian guy suffered a concussion in the same game, and odds are off the charts. And that's before we get to the bench-clearing brawls, easily one of the weirdest games of all time. Number two, if you're trapped under a rock, here's what happened. Pedro nailed the first batter of the game, Gerald Ice Williams, with a fastball. Fought off Williams' charge in the ensuing brawl, endured the ensuing 25-minute delay, Stewed in the dugout through two prolonged Sox rallies that were extended by more beanballs and more ejections and ended up retiring 24 batters in a row <clears throat> before John Flattery broke up his no-hitter in the ninth. Pedro is the Dominican Larry. There's nothing else to say. Footnote, 
If Pedro had ended up throwing a no-hitter, there would have been a precedent in Red Sox history. On June 23, 1917, Babe Ruth, did you know he once played for the Red Sox? Walked off, walked Washington's leadoff batter before being ejected for arguing balls and strikes. Ernie Shore relieved him and retired the next 27 guys in order for the pseudo-perfect game. Okay, uh, number three. Okay, maybe there is. Did you notice how after Williams charged him, Pedro was hitting 97 and 98 on the radar gun for the first time in months? Is it safe to say that he's been saving that extra special fastball for the playoffs so he didn't endanger his arm? Only the devil rays triggered his mean streak? Was he dusting that baby off like mom breaking out a bottle of 91... What is this? Sasakaya? It's some wine. Uh, Sure seemed like it. Number four. A bench-clearing brawl with the first batter. Will we ever see anything like that again? It's just about the last thing you expect at 7.30 at night. The sports gal and I were so inspired that we decided to reenact a few sing- few scenes from What's Love Got to Do With It, which is always fun because I get to break out my Ike Turner wig. Eat the cake, anime. Eat the cake, goddammit. Number five. Why would Pedro throw out Williams in the first place? Made no sense. Old Gerald needs to... To scrape the scrape the ice off his brain, and can you imagine if Pedro actually got hurt in that fight, in a Lee Nettles '76 kind of way? Footnote: On May 20th, 1976, my mother's birthday party, Lou Pinella and Carlton Fix ended up fighting at home plate in, in Yankee Stadium, leading to a brawl in which Greg Nettles ended up body slamming Bill Lee, separating his shoulder followed by Mickey Rivers sucker-punching Lee and me calling someone an effing asshole for the, for the first time, which felt fantastic. The Red Sox couldn't even beat the Yankees in bench-clearing brawls. We'd be holding an emergency induction ceremony for Williams for the Samuelson, Quinn, Lambier, Hamilton, Rule, wing of the Boston Villain Hall of Fame. Uh, footnote, Ulf Samuelson injured Cam Neely's hip Pat Quinn nearly broke Bobby Orr in half with an infamous body check. You know Bill Lambeer's resume. Jack Hamilton was the guy who threw the beanball at Tony C in 67. And Vern Rule broke Jim Rice's wrist in 75. I don't even like mentioning this. Let's move on. Uh, speaking of moving on, let's move on. I think that was enough... Uh, we didn't get far in that one, but that's okay because <laughs> that was enough Boston, Boston uh, fandom homerism for one, for one episode of A Star Is Born. Man, Bill Simmons is such a big, such a big homer. You know, <laughs> nothing wrong with that though. That's his style of writing. That's why people love him though, actually, because he's so passionate. He's so passionate about the teams. He loves them. Um, he his knowledge. He's always been like known for uh, having a huge knowledge base of Boston sports. That's for sure. Encyclopedic, some people say. Uh, let's get back to Jennifer Anson. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't you? We left you. 2017. The Yellow Birds. She plays Maureen Murphy. Maybe I'll throw the... I'm putting the book up here, so... Uh, 
we can get back to it. We'll hop back into it. Don't worry, Boston fans. Those of you listening in uh, the greater New England area out there, wicked awesome. Wicked. <laughs> um, let's see what the yellow birds is. We'll, we'll finish reading the Bill Simmons thing. Don't want to desert Bill Simmons like that. Do him dirty like that. The Yellow Birds, 94 Minutes, Drama, War. Two young soldiers, Barty, 21, and Murph, 18, navigate the terrors of the Iraq War. Uh, Iraq War under the command of the older, troubled Sergeant Sterling. All the while, Bartle is tortured by the, a promise he made to Murph's mother before their deployment. Ew. Oh, it's the, the new guy from Star Wars, is it? Aiden Ehrenreich. Uh, 2018 Dumplin. She plays Rosie. What's that? Uh, Willow Dean Dumplin. Willow Dean Dumplin. The plus-sized teenage daughter of a former beauty queen signs up for her mom's Miss Teen Blue Bonnet Pageant as a protest that escalates when other contestants follow her footsteps, revolutionizing the pageant in their small Texas town. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds interesting. Um, flipping that... Flipping the Texas town. Oh, it kind of reminds me of um, that great Jack Black movie, Bernie. That's such a good movie. We'll talk about it in the Jack Black episode, but it's like a small Texas town and um, some crazy stuff happens. It's, it's a dark comedy. I don't want to spoil it. It's, it's too, let's just say there's a murder. A murder. Um, there's been a murder. And then Creed just runs out of the office. <laughs> okay. Jennifer Anson. TV show. Ten episodes. It's untitled morning show drama. So it's coming up. She also has untitled Jennifer Anson, Sophie Goodhart project. And she has a... Movie called The Fixer. She plays Denise White. A former Miss USA contestant becomes a successful sports manager. Another Miss USA. Another beauty pageant thing. But she becomes a sports manager. What's that mean, a sports manager? Like a baseball manager? or I don't know what sports manager really means. but <laughs> Maybe like an agent. Maybe it's like a Jerry Maguire kind of thing. Alright, let's see. Her final credit. We made it to, We made it through Jennifer Anson's. It only took us two and a half hours. It's okay. Murder mystery. There's been a murder. Number 64 of 64 is called Murder Mystery from 2019. Uh, a New York cop and his wife go on a European vacation to reinvigorate the spark in their marriage, but end up getting framed and on the run for... The death of an elderly billionaire. Wait. Yep. Yep. Adam Sandler. I was like, that sounds super familiar. It's because we talked about that. We read that already. And the Adam Sandler one. Of course. 
Okay, there we go. Let's rank the, um... <laughs> I'm, like, all embarrassed. We already read that. Uh, Let's rank our top three and bottom three, baby. Let's start with the top, because I like, I like getting the good news first. So, for Jennifer Aniston's top three, we're just doing movies. So, let's not put Friends in there. Let's go Office Space. Let's go... Um, Wanderlust and We're the Millers. Oh no, sorry, Office Space. Let's go. Uh, yeah, we'll go. Uh, Wanderlust, We're the Millers, Horrible Bosses. There we go. Apologies to Office Space. You're number four, and uh, let's do bottom three. Bottom three, I will say. We will see She's Funny That Way, Life of Crime. Oh, I just noticed that it's funny. The uh, She's Funny That Way and Life of Crime ones are back-to-back, and both their posters are pretty much identical because they both have the uh, six people in the Hollywood Squares kind of little boxes. That's so funny. And then the image right in the middle, right in between the... Th- Three people on top, three people on bottom. Image in between. Anywho, so let's put both both those will be in the bottom three because of that. Because of that uncreative poster art right there, and let's put um. Just go with it, in the bottom three too. That uh, Adam Sandler one. All right, there we go. We made it through leg one, of. This three-legged race. Let's do Courtney Cox next. We'll save a uh, save Phoebe for last. Courtney, oops, accidentally clicked on the court gesture. <laughs> the court gesture. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Let's just talk about Courtney Cox. Court, how do you? Sp- I'm like, how do you spell that? She does spell her name weird. It's C O. U-R-T, so that's part normal, and then E-N-E-Y, she has an extra E right after the T, it's kind of crazy, kind of nuts, uh, I've never seen anything like it, here we go, Courtney Cox, 66 credits, so she has even more credits than a good old Benifer, all right, very first credit for Courtney Cox, a video short from 1984. Yes, we talked about this. Bruce Springsteen, Dancing in the Dark. She plays a young woman. We read that a couple hours ago. Uh, TV show, 1984, she plays Bunny, As the World Turns. 1985 TV show, Codename Foxfire. She plays Amy slash flight attendant. TV show. Oh, I've heard this one, of course. I'm sure everyone has. This is one of those shows that you just have to be around to hear about it. You don't have to know what it is, really. The Love Boat. She plays Carol. What was The Love Boat? Let's see. The romantic and comic tales of passengers and crew of the cruise ship Pacific Princess. I always thought it was like 
a reality show or something. For some, I thought it was like a really early reality dating show. I have no idea why. What was I thinking? They didn't have that kind of reality TV in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> I thought they were ahead of their time, I guess. Because then there's... I thought it was like those dating shows that they have now. Where we're like, am I the one? I think that's one of them called. Kind of like The Bachelor. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, I'm, that's crazy. Let's see. TV show, 1985. 286. Misfits of Science. She plays Gloria Danalo. 16 episodes. TV movie, 1986. Sylvan in Paradise. Plays Lucy Apple. Oh, I've heard of this thing. TV show, 1986. Murder, She Wrote. Plays Carol Bannister for two episodes. Let's see what Murder, She Wrote is. Professional writer and amateur sleuth. Jessica Fletcher uses her intellect, charm, and persistence to get to the bottom of every crime she encounters. Ah. 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 Whoop. Scroll down. Scroll down. Murder, She Wrote. That's kind of... It's one of those things you hear about, but you don't really know what it is. Just like The Love Boat, I guess. Um, 1987, Down Twisted. She plays Tara. But she spells, they spell Tara weird, too. Like, they spell with an H on the end. I've never seen Tara spelled with an H on the end. Like, Sarah. <laughs> Maybe it's Tara. Maybe it's Tara, like Sarah. Tara, like Sarah. Uh, 1987, Masters of the Universe. She played Julie Winston. TV movie from 1987, If It's Tuesday, It Still Must Be Belgium. Plays Hannah Wachowski. Hannah Wachowski. Wachowski. Uh, hmm. I want to see what that is. That sounds really... That title is just so captivating. So confusing. It's like a poem. Is that a haiku? It's, um, when a tour bus driver plans to save his daughter from her captors, a Belgian circus, circus performer... The Americans on his European tour bus. Wait, the, the Americans on his European tour uh, bus tour lend a hand. Man, I think this is not me. They wrote this really weird. <laughs> a Belgian circus performer, the Americans on his European bus tour lend a help hand. Okay, they mean a helping hand. I totally butchered that whole thing. So let's just move on. <laughs> let's just pretend like that never happened. It sounds confusing though. Um, Cocoon, The Return. Oh, I've heard of that. She plays Sarah. Sarah with no H on the end. So maybe it's Sarah. Sarah like Tara. Sarah like Tara. Um, let's see what the Cocoon, Cocoon, The Return is. 116 minutes, PG, adventure, comedy, mystery. The old age pensioners that left at the end of the first film come back to Earth to visit their relatives. Will they all decide to go back to the planet where no one grows old? Or will they be tempted to stay back on Earth? The planet where nobody grows old? They just have a bunch of plastic surgery. 
It's just Hollywood. They just have a bunch of... It's like, yeah, no one grows old. Um, TV movie. TV movie 1988. I'll be home for Christmas. She plays Nora Bundy. Uh, Family Ties. 1987 to 89. Plays Lauren Miller. 19 episodes. Was this the... Michael, yeah, Michael J. Fox is Alex P. Keaton. Chronicles liberal ex-hippies Stephen and Elise Keaton, their conservative son Alex, daughters Mallory and Jennifer, and later youngest child Andrew. Huh. Huh. It's an 80s show. It's an 80s show. Oh, let's see. 1989, Roxanne, the prize Pulitzer, TV movie, lots of TV movies, plays Jackie Kimberly, let's see what that is, that, that poster's intriguing, I like the font, the font looks like, it looks like on a flower shop or something, or something you'd find in a Hallmark, like, get well soon card, beautiful, it's like my grandmother's handwriting, uh, the 1970s Palm Beach, Florida marriage of Roxanne and Herbert Pulitzer ends in a scandalous 1980s divorce. Ooh, scandal. Uh, let's see. Where were we? Till We Meet Again. TV miniseries from 1989. And she plays Marie Federique. Slash, uh, Freddy. Well, her nickname is Freddy. Delancel. Uh, Blue Desert. 1990 Blue Desert. That's a cool title. She plays Lisa Roberts. Two men rattle a comic book artist who has moved into a desert town after her trauma in New York. They rattle a comic book artist. What... So it's like a scary movie. It's a thriller. I see. Yeah, I was like confused by that. It's like a rattle. They're like stalking her. They're they're uh, acting all creepy. Um, 1990 TV movie. That reminds Blue Desert reminds me of that one. Oh, what's that Australian? It's like an Australian movie that's kind of like that. Um, horror. Australian horror movie. It's like... Uh, it's famous too. Wolf Creek. Yep, that's it. Wolf Creek. This is super... Prepare to get scared. Get ready to get scared. Uh, let's see. What's it about? Wolf Creek... Wolf Creek film, 2005, Australian horror film, directed by Greg McLean. Its plot revolves around three backpackers who find themselves taken captive and subsequently hunted by Mick Taylor, a deranged, psychopathic, xenophobic killer in the Australian outback. The film was ambiguously marketed as being based on true events. Oh, it's one of those. While its plot bore elements reminiscent of the real-life murders of Taurus by Ivan Milot in the 1990s and Bradley Murdoch in the 2001, both of which McLean used as inspiration for the screenplay. 
yeah, that one's known as being a super scary movie. I can't remember if I did see it or not, or if I just had my friend, like, friends told me about it so many times that I just thought I'd seen it, maybe. Uh, In 2010, it was included in Slant Magazine's list of 100 best films of the decade. Uh, the film was nominated for seven Australian Film Institute Awards, including Best Director. Wolf Creek received varied awards, uh, reviews from film critics, with several, such as Robert Ebert and Manola Dargis, criticizing it for its realistic and unrelenting depictions of violence. Other publications, such as Variety and Time Out, praised the film's grindhouse aesthetics, with the latter calling its straightforward depiction of crime and violence taboo-breaking. Breaking taboos. Alright, that's what I need to do right now. I need to shut these, uh... I'm standing up right now. Let's shut my blinds a little bit. That should help me out. Getting all sorts of crazy... crazy glare. I think that will help. <laughs> that lets you guys... Behind the curtains... This is a podcast with no fourth wall. The fourth wall has been torpedoed. Um, okay. It actually did help a lot, though. I was There's so much glare coming in from... The sun's actually shining pretty bright out there now. It's still cloudy, but there's some blue some blue skies. Some icy blue skies peeking through. Um, yeah, so speaking of blue, that was Blue Desert. And that was Wolf Creek. And let's see what else Courtney Cox has got here. 1990, another TV movie. Curiosity Kills. Plays Gwen. Uh, Shaking the Tree, 1990. She plays Kathleen. I gotta see what that is. That sounds like a... Maybe like a protester movie? I don't know. I don't know. A crap... Maybe a Christmas tree? Someone who works at Christmas Tree Farm? Shaking the tree. A crowd of guys in their 20s spend most of their time hanging out. They're just hanging out. It's Christmas time. Oh, it is a Christmas movie. In the early 1990s, and the guys all begin to think it's about time they went about their lives without the comfort of the diner. What a weird plot summary. I feel like they were just acting like we already knew like who the guys were. Like they didn't introduce the guys. They just said the guys. That was strange. <laughs> um Mr. Destiny is a movie from nineteen ninety. Ooh, I like her name. Jewel Jagger. Jewel Jagger. Sounds like Mick Jagger's nickname for one of his body parts. <laughs> Jewel Jagger. <laughs> Uh, TV series 1991 Morton and Hayes Courtney Cox plays Princess Lucy for one episode 1992 TV movie Battling for Baby plays Catherine kind of reminds me of a live action boss baby it's actually a pretty good movie Um, 1992 TV show Dream On plays Alicia for one episode 1992, The Opposite Sex and How to Live with Them, plays Carrie Davenport. It's a rom-com, 
86 minutes, rated R. Let's see. Jewish Jack the Lad. I don't know what that means. David seriously fancies smart, rich, Anglo-Saxon Carrie. As soon as he... This is like an old-timey review. Um, as soon as he first offends her in a Boston bar. So that's how you get people. That's how you get girls. You offend them. Offend them in bars. Um, no. Uh, they run into each other again. And though she still says she finds him appalling... He works on it, and they're soon together. So he's just he's just nags at her basically. He's just very persistent till till he breaks her down, and then she finally gives in, and they're soon together. Uh, his even more reprehensible best mate and her blousy best friend watch Bimbus as the two fall deeply in love, and then apparently as Faye out again. Wait, so. Their two best friends fall in love with each other too. Ay ay ay. Um, nineteen ninety three TV show, The Trouble with Larry. Plays Gabriella Easton. Oh, I forgot she was in this. Nineteen ninety four, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective plays Melissa Robinson. That's a, that's a bit of a classic. We'll talk about it more in the Jim Carrey app. 86-minute comedy, PG-13. Goofy detective specializing in animals goes in search of the missing mascot of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, very good. Dan Marino's in it. Dan Marino? Still looking for that Super Bowl. Still looking for that Super Bowl ring. <laughs> I don't know why I'm just talking smack to Dan Marino right now. He's just listening in his hot tub. So what? Come on, Chris. Uh, okay. What? This is a crossover. It's a 90s sitcom powerhouse crossover right here. She's in one episode of Seinfeld. Plays Meryl. 1994. Wow. Did not remember that. Uh, she's a video short from 95. Toad the Wet Sprocket. Good Intentions. It's like this. Good Intentions. It's like that sweet intention. Uh, she plays woman, uncredited. TV movie, another TV movie, so many. 1995, Sketch Artist 2, Hands That See, plays Emmy. Uh, the Rembrandts, I'll Be There For You, video short, 95, Monica Geller. Larry Sanders Show, she's in it too. Just like Bennifer. Uh, she plays herself. One episode. 95. Uh, Counting Crows. A Long December. It's been a long December. And I reason to believe that things will get better from here. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a long December. And there's reason to... I gotta look up those. I gotta look up them lyrics. I saw Counting Crows live with my dad at um, Miramar Park. Same place that we saw Bare Naked Ladies and Colin Hay. Uh, yeah, I've seen a Colin Hay song before. The Overkill one. 
There's too many songs going on on my head right now. Let's just concentrate on this one. This is Long December. Long December, and there's reason to believe maybe this year will be better than last. And I can't remember the last thing that you said as you were leaving. I can't remember how that part goes. <laughs> oh, but this part does. This is a good part. And it's one more day up in the canyons. And it's one more night in Hollywood. If you think that I could be forgiven, I wish you would. Na 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 na, na 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 na, na yeah, na 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 na, yeah, yeah. It's been a long December. Okay, we're good. <laughs> I love Counting Crows. Counting Crows? Oh my god. That one song. You know it. Of course you know the song. Sha la 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 la. Down in New Amsterdam. Staring at this yellow haired girl. Mr. Jones strikes up a conversation. With the black haired flamenco dancer, you know she dances while her father plays guitar. She's suddenly beautiful. We all want something beautiful. Man, I wish I was beautiful. So come dance the silence down through the morning. Sha la 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 la. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. <laughs> it's just turned into karaoke all of a sudden. Love it. I love it. Love it. Okay. Oh. It's fallen into my favorite, one of my favorite movie franchises of all time. Behind Back to the Future. I've said this may be my second favorite movie franchises. Right here. 1996. Courtney Cox plays Gail Weathers in Scream. The very first Scream. 111 Minutes, Horror Mystery, Raid R. A year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. See, like I was just talking about earlier, how they uh, reference other movies in it. Maybe that's why I like it so much. Because they're like doing homages to past horror films. I like that. I like it when movies exist within, when their universes overlap, you know. Like when Homer Simpson walks in, walks into Quahog. What's it called? The Thirsty Clam? Or whatever their bar is called. Um, I only know Moe's. <laughs> I know Moe's. I know Springfield. Oh, no, no, Quahog. Uh, 1997 Commandments. Plays Rachel Luce. Luce. Uh, Scream 2. Gail Weathers. Scream, Scream 2 is really good, too. 
Happily Ever After, Fairy Tales for Every Child, TV series 1999, Emerald Salt Pork, one episode. 1999, The Runner, plays Karina. Scream, Scream 3 from 2000, plays Gail Weathers again. Uh, WCW Monday Nitro TV show 2000. 2001, 3,000 Miles to Graceland, plays Cybel Wayne-Grow. What a crazy made-up name. Maybe that's someone's real name, though. Cybel Wayne-Grow? <laughs> sorry. sorry if your name is Cybel or Wayne-Grow, but those, are, those two together, those are, those are not like peanut butter and jelly. Now, let's just say that. What is 3,000 Miles to Graceland? 125 minutes, raid R, action, comedy, crime. A gang of ex-cons rob a casino during Elvis Convention Week? What? This just got interesting. Kurt Russell's in it, and Kevin Costner, and Christian Slater. Like, this movie sounds awesome. I definitely want to see that. That's <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, that sounds so good. I love that plot. I like any like high concept, just wacky, off-the-wall plot. I'm not distracted by that. That's why I like uh, Coen Brothers. They have some wacky movies. I like Wes Anderson. He has some wacky, just wackiness. Quirky. Mystical. Whimsical. How would you describe it? Uh, 2001, The Shrink is In. She plays Samantha Crumb. 2001, Get Well Soon. She plays Lily Charles. Those two movies sound like very similar, so let's see what they're about. The Shrink is In is 92 minutes, Raid R, rom-com. A young woman impersonates a shrink to win over her Prince Charming. That Prince Charming is David Arquette. Wait, when did they get married? Now we gotta see when they got married. Court. When did Courtney Cox and David Arquette? David Arquette, professional wrestler. Um, they're not still together, are they? No. Married, nineteen ninety nine. Divorced, twenty thirteen. Wait, what? What? She was married to Michael Keaton. Or maybe not married, but she was, she was together. She was with Michael Keaton from 1989 to 1995. What? Birdman? She was with Birdman? Um, let's see. Back to Courtney Cox. Back to her IMDb page. Or just Lorraine Newsom. Lorraine Newsom. I thought something funny. Instead of calling myself Lorraine Newsom in the Mooses. I'm just going to start cutting out the middleman and call myself Lorraine Moosom. I'm Lorraine Moosom. My favorite animal is mooses. <laughs> That's just a character I've been workshopping. Um, Let's see what Get Well Soon is about now. So Get Well Soon, Red R, 95 minutes, rom-com drum. He left her for fame, but wants her back. She still loves him. But isn't sure she can trust him. 
Now they both have to face the truth. And Vincent Gallo is the other person starring in it. Uh, let's see. Wow, she wasn't anything for she wasn't any movies or anything for three years here. Because in two thousand four, she's in November. Plays Sophie Jacobs. And nineteen ninety four to two thousand four, Monica Geller slash Monica Geller Bing, two hundred thirty six episodes of Friends, baby Friends. Two thousand five, The Longest Yard, talked about it. Adam Sandler episode, plays Lena, Lena, uncredited. Oh six, she is in Barnyard, plays Daisy the cow, the voice of. Uh, oh six, she is in Zoom, plays Marsha Holloway. Oh, oh six, and The Tripper plays Dog Lover Hippie. What? Dog Lover Hippie? I feel like that was written by like someone who hates dogs. <laughs> Whoever wrote that character description is really a cat person. They have a strong hate for dogs. Like, they probably got bit as, bit as a child from some big Rottweiler, probably bit him. Because <laughs> they're like, all these dog-loving hippies. <laughs> I just can picture the person writing that, just surrounded by cats. That's so funny. Because I feel like that the hippie part, one of those parts was, it just seems like they were putting her character down, almost. They were being mean to her. <laughs> that dog-loving hippie. Oh, um, that's funny. Uh, like Garfield, maybe Garfield wrote it. <laughs> so the Tripper, what's the Tripper about? It's ninety three minutes, rated R, comedy horror. A Ronald Reagan obsessed serial killer targets a bunch of hippies who are heading to a weekend long concert. So specific, Ronald Reagan obsessed. See, like I wonder if he wears like a Ronald Reagan mask or something. David Arquette's in it. I just all I can think of is just maybe he just wears his mask. <laughs> he just honors him that way. Let's see. I think now is a good time for me to um Oh, I need to stretch my neck. I've been cre- holding my neck at a weird stretch my back there. There we go. Very good. Let's read the rest of this um Bill Simmons column here. From uh, his Red Sox book, his love letter to to Boston. I had to go to the bath, or this number six. I had to go to the bathroom from the third inning on. Only I was afraid to move because I didn't want to miss anything. Plus, I was sitting in a special position on the sofa that was helping Pedro out. Yes, I believe in this stuff. After the game ended, I had one of those Austin Powers peas. Had to rest the rest the hand against the wall and everything. Just wanted to share that with you. Number seven, as far as I'm concerned, Pedro officially entered the bar for his date with Destiny. Footnote, this was a running joke between me and my, my buddy Gus to the point that he would call me after some stiff, like Joe Cowley pitched a no-hitter and start screaming, did you hear what Destiny did? What a tramp. How could she do that? Gus, Gus's team, the Mets couldn't throw a no-hitter. Either. In fact, they still haven't had no hitter in franchise history, although their three most 
famous pitchers, Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, and Dwight Gooden, all end up throwing ones for other teams. I'm telling you, Destiny is a big-time bitch. <laughs> um, in the fourth inning, after that quick one-two-three inning with all the with all the grandas, he sat down with her in the fifth inning when she when he struck out the side. In the sixth and seventh, they did a few shots together and loosened up the mood. By the eighth, he was paying for the check while she was in the bathroom sticking in her diaphragm. Then, boom, the cross breaks around his neck, and it's all over. Suddenly, she's hailing a cab, and Pedro's heading home for a date with Cinemax. Destiny's a bitch that way. <laughs> Let's face it, as far as bad omens go, that cross snapping around Pedro's neck during the flarity at bat made Bobby Brady's Hawaiian tiki look like a rabbit's foot. Footnote, probably my most overused pop, pop culture reference over the years, hearkening back to my college days at Holy Cross. Since the three-part Hawaii episode was a defining moment in my childhood, I always forget that nobody under 25 remembers how scary it was when Greg's, surf, when Greg's surfboard overturned, or how confusing it was that Vincent Price tormented the Brady boys in a cave for an entire episode. Then Mr. Brady inexplicably invited him to the final luau. I don't think I will ever get over this. Man, I gotta watch the... He's making the the Brady Bunch sound like a great show. Um, wonder if that's on Netflix. Maybe add it to my Netflix queue. Okay, number eight. We will never watch. We will never watch a potential no hitter under those circumstances again, where you're worried that you're, the pitcher involved will get thrown out for protecting his teammates. Every time Pedro threw a pitch, I cringed. By the seventh inning, I was so antsy and nervous that the captain almost turned off the no-smoking sign in the Sports Guy Mansion for the first time in five months. Just seeing Miguel Cairo made me start hyperventilating. I felt like the looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue guy from Airplane in agonizing three hours. Number nine. Why is it always schmucks like John Flaherty who break up no-hitters? It kills me that he almost chased that high fastball on one-two right before the cross broke. How does someone like Flaherty lay off that pitch? Damn him. Six years from now, he'll be an assistant coach at East Bumfart Bum High School, telling the kids how he broke up Pedro's no-no while resting a can of Keystone Light on his pot belly. No, I'm not bitter. <laughs> Footnote. Flaherty ended up having a decent career for a mediocre catcher. At age 37, he's backing up Jorge Posada for the 2005 Yankees instead of coaching East Bumfart High School. There's still time. Number 10. Pedro could retire tomorrow and I could live off last night's game, the Memorial Day game against the Yankees, the one-hitter in Baltimore, last year's one-hitter at Yankee Stadium, and Game 5 of the Cleveland Series for the rest of my sports life. And sports fan life. I never thought anything, anything would surpass Game 5 for me, but last night came close. You dare charge the mound against me? Have some of this, Bendejo. Number 11. The best part of the game, when Tampa hit hit Dawbeck for the umpteenth time in the seventh, and Sox players poured onto the field ready to throw like the Warriors, throw like the Warriors on Coney Island. Unfortunately, we didn't have the one crazy guy on the team to escalate things by trying to pull a Kermit Washington on someone, a baseball standard. Darren Lewis showed the most potential, but never really snapped. 
Too bad Carl Everett remembered to take his Prozac before the game. Number 12. I called my dad after every inning from the fifth on just to make sure he didn't fall asleep. You have to love those games. You can always judge a great Red Sox game by the number of calls between my father and me. That was like a seven call game. Okay, this is me again. This, that's one of the things I love most about Bill Simmons too. Is his relationship with his uh, dad through like, through their uh, common love of Boston sports teams. Because I can totally relate to this. Because, um, yeah, I was always, like, related to my dad through sports. Just him coaching my sports teams, going to baseball games, basketball games, football games. Just going to Mariners games, Seahawks games, Sonics. <laughs> Bring back. Um, yeah, I definitely relate to this. That's why I love him. That's one of the reasons I love him so much. Um, here we go. And I just like his passion. I love how much he cares about the team and how much it seems to affect his life and it's awesome he i like how he writes from the fan perspective that that made a big difference on how i tried to like develop my personal writing style i think i when i wrote for the daily evergreen i did a lot of the from a like from a fan perspective like bill simmons i was trying to kind of replicate him i think that's what we do like when we're first starting out and trying to figure out like our own personal style we just replicate our heroes and our role models and the people that inspired us to do it in the first place i don't know um let's just let's see where were we number 13 maybe i'm the only one who thinks about stuff like this but can you imagine if jose guillen started up again started up with trot nixon trot was giving him the eastwood-esque make my day stare other than the completely insane carl everett trot's probably the one guy you wouldn't want to mess with on the socks footnote as it turned out jose Guillen makes carl everett look like fred rogers fred rogers is that mr rogers um if i ever matched up against the socks and a bench clear i'd seek out el guapo and disarm him with a burrito <laughs> um the only time i really uh number 14 the only time i really became angry tonight was when they threw at nomar no ma no ma and I had the Rice in 75 flashback. Ugh. Footnote. Four weeks later, Baltimore's Al Reyes nailed Nomar in the right wrist. Nomar's career was never the same. I blame myself. Um, Number 15. I have now seen two Red Sox pitchers take a no-hitter into the ninth inning. Red Pedro last night and Rick Weiss during the 75 season, which I barely remember because I was five at the time. And both of them lost it. Life sucks. Number 16. One word. Sabes. Uh, footnote. I have absolutely no idea what this means. <laughs> Maybe he was fun to watch during the brawl. I don't know. <laughs> That's so funny. I can relate to that too. Um, how he didn't remember. He's just like, this must have meant something to me when I wrote it. But I have no idea what I was thinking at the time. But I'm sure it was hilarious to me when I wrote it. Like, I always, I find things like that in my writing, too. Whenever I, I'm looking back, if I'm ever looking back at it, I think that's so funny. <laughs> He's like, I have no idea what this means, but it probably means something. Uh, number 17. When Everett, when Everett needed a single for the cycle and jacked that second homer into the stands, do you think he even considered forgetting to touch second base? 
hell, it was five nothing game. It was a five nothing game, and Pedro's pitching. No jury would have convicted him. Footnote. Reason number two thousand four hundred fifty five why I could never be a professional athlete. I would absolutely put myself myself over the success of the team. Seriously, ten years from now, nobody would remember that the Sox beat Tampa in late August of a season where they both missed the playoffs. But I bet they'd remember that cycle. Oh, so he must have needed, I think he needed like a triple or something for the cycle. So he's saying if he missed, or maybe he only needed a single for a cycle. Yeah, okay, wait, it just, (laughs) wait, what am I talking about? It just said, it just said that at the beginning of the sentence, of course. I like how I'm I'm trying to do the math on it. Yep, it said whenever it needed a single for the cycle. Well, I cracked that case. (laughs) Like a Sherlock Holmes over here. Uh, Okay, here we go. Moving on, number 18. What about the bizarre subplot with Dabak, who was getting picked on more often than Daniel LaRussa in the Karate Kid trilogy? Sweep the leg, Mr. Island. Do you have a problem with that? Dobby got thrown out four times. Just what the hell happened at the bottom of that first pile? Did he put the walls of Jericho in some way? Did he pull out a salt packet like Mr. Fuji and try to blind someone? Have you ever seen a baseball team go after somebody in that way? And how come Dobby always seems to take things, these things to the next level? He's like that unassuming buddy everyone had in college who always ended up picking fights with football players after a few beers. Footnote. If this happened four years later, there's a 100% chance I would have added a joke about Landon from the real world Philly right here. Do you think Dobby owns a yellow huggable t-shirt? <laughs> I did not watch. That was not one of the real worlds I've seen. It's a few years before my uh, real world watching years. Uh, let's see. Number 19. As much as I've been enjoying Nesson's new Bob Rogers, Jerry Remy tandem, why do announcers jinx no hitters by saying things like, there have been 10 hits in this game and the Red Sox have all of them? Drives me crazy. Anyone who says this should be beaten with reeds after the game. And then then they have ESPN cut into the game during the Flaherty at bat in the ninth. Why not throw a black cat in the field and have Pedro walk under a ladder? <laughs> well, I mean, that is, that is something that ESPN always does now, though. <clears throat> but maybe, maybe in back in like 2000, in the year 2000, is probably before ESPN always cut to no-hitters. Because that's like a common thing that happens. That happens all the time now. Alright, anyway. Number 20. The final one. Finally, Pedro. Will Pedro ever pitch a no-hitter for us? Everything seemed ripe last night. Extra motivation from the fight. An especially popping fastball. An imposing lineup so lame and punchless. That I think Jason QT McKnight. Footnote. He was the 120-pound star of that MTV show about the boy band, Together. And Together spelled with the, the number two at the beginning. <laughs> um, MTV show about a boy band. That's crazy. I'm surprised they haven't tried that one again. Tried to do something with like a, what are they called? One Direction or Jonas Brothers or something. Maybe they have. Okay. Uh, the show about a boy band, Together. I know we're only on page 88, but I guarantee he's the most obscure reference in this book. Um, so, punch this, I think, JT, Jason QT McKnight. 
led off the seventh for Tampa. And you only have so many nights where everything falls into place. Ironically enough, I watched ESPN Classics rebroadcast of Roger Clemens' 20 strikeout game against Seattle recently and was bowled over by Seattle's lineup of Stiffs, Ken Phelps, Steve Yeager, Spike Owen, Gorman Thomas. Talk about the stars aligning at the right time. Anyway, Tampa's lineup gave me that same mmm feeling. And so another opportunity goes by the wayside. Destiny just doesn't seem to like anyone from Boston, does she? And a final footnote to end the column here. A funny postscript to this one. Exactly seven months later, during the first week of the season, free agent acquisition Hideo Nomo pitched the first Red Sox no-hitter of my lifetime, which was strangely bittersweet because Pedro wasn't involved. At the at the time I wrote, I feel like a 17-year-old girl who was saving her virginity for the star QB on prom night and ended up losing it to some transfer student who couldn't speak English on the second day of senior year. <laughs> um, Very funny. Oh, wow, there's actually... Oh no, those foot those footnotes are for the next column. That's weird. It's just the next page. I turn the next page and there's more footnotes, but they're actually for the very next column. So there you go. That's just a little bit. There's the rest of that column from Bill Simmons. Now I can die in peace. His uh love letter to Boston and the Red Sox organization. Now let's read a little bit more. Actually, before we read a little bit more of night hoops. This is something I want to talk to you guys about. So I talked about playing football, my playing my football career, my um illustrious football career from fourth grade through ninth grade, and then the summer of junior year till that season started. But this happened the very first season I played football. And so it's fourth grade. The year must have been what, two thousand two must have been 02. And this was at Husky Stadium, University of Washington. We actually got a cool chance. I don't know how we got this opportunity, but we got to play like a scrimmage on the field. So that was my first year ever playing football. I got to play on, on the field at Husky Stadium. And we got to go in the locker room before the game. And I just remember there being like a ton of lazy boys and comfy recliner chairs and just TVs everywhere. Um, I think their coach, I actually do remember, it may have been their head coach at the time. Who's the Huskies head? It must have been Rick Neuheisel. But um, either their head coach or one of their high-up coaches gave us a big speech. So I do remember sitting in one of those lazy boy chairs and listening to it speech from the one of the Husky coaches before the game. So that was super cool. Got to pretend that I was like a college football player. And then when we went out on the field, it was one of those kind of ahead of his time, actually. A turf field that had like field turf and had shreds of rubber and uh, shred up tires all over the field. So that was pretty neat. And it's actually like softer so easier to to fall on, more of a cushiony, like falling on a mattress or something. <laughs> but um, I always liked playing on that kind of field. 
like at Bothell High School, we had a, our field used to be um, just concrete, basically. It used to just be seriously just as hard as concrete. Just ridiculous. Just like a dusty old field. But then we switched to the field turf and it was then became soft and a bunch of shreds of rubber and tires all over it and there we go. Probably got sponsored by Les Schwab or something. The Michelin man was running around. The mascot. He was our mascot. That'd be awesome. Um Yes, yes. So I actually did like that was my favorite kind of fields. Was the the rubber tire ones. And the grass ones were okay. Grass ones were definitely better than the old Bothell High School. Those just ridiculous, just like playing on the sidewalk. And then after the game, after we had the scrimmage on the field at UW, we actually got to watch the game against Cal. They took on the Cal Golden Bears. And that was pretty awesome. I think that was the last time I went to a Husky game. Maybe the only time I ever saw a Husky football game. Um, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. But another thing I did at Husky Stadium was run a 5K race that ended on the track on Husky Stadium. It's back when they back when they used to have a track around the football field before they remodeled it and built a separate track just kind of right next to the baseball field. Um, yeah, so that was so cool. Oh, I can't. I think it was called the Dog Dash. Actually, I think that's what it was called. It must have been senior year of high school. I was probably right when I was doing cross country. Right when I was in my prime distance running shape, you know, just hoofing it in the hoofing it in the Dog Dash, just getting down dirty in the Dog Dash. <laughs> it's going hard, but that was fun though. I remember there being like a ton of huskies running around. Um, like Husky dogs, like so many people, like lots of Husky fans actually have Husky dogs. They're proud owners. It makes sense. I bet lots of Georgia Bulldog fans have Bulldogs. Why wouldn't they? I bet lots of Clemson Tiger fans have Tigers. Oh, wait, maybe not. Um, <laughs> what's a Nittany Lion? Now that I'm thinking about college mascots. What is, like, I know what a lion is, but what's a nittany lion? What does that mean? Is it real? Is it a real thing? I'm I'm typing a nittany lion real. Is the nittany lion, it's essentially an ordinary mountain lion. A creature that roams central Pennsylvania until the 1880s. Wow, so there were mountain lions in... Pennsylvania till the the 80s, the 1880s. <laughs> you say that, say that to someone, yeah, there were mountain lions in Pennsylvania till the 80s. They're like, what? Yeah, the 1880s. Haha. <laughs> Dad jokes. Um. Okay, so Nittany Lion is just like a fancy, it's just a fancy regional name for it. Very good. Good to know. Um. Yeah, so that was my Husky, that's that, that's the Husky track experience, that's Husky football experience, and I think now, yeah, I used to run a lot more 5Ks, that's for sure, I haven't ran a 5K in years, actually, I think the St. Patrick's Day race was the last one I ran, probably a few years back, 
used to used to do a lot more. Um, let's hop back into. Can't remember if there was anything else I wanted to say about. No, I don't think there was. Just that that was a lot of fun running that 5K in Husky. That's so cool. Oh, it was it was so cool finishing on the track. Cause I felt like it was like the last 400 meters of the race, and it just felt like the crowd was going crazy for me. And I just came in. It felt like everyone was cheering for me, and I was just. It's almost like being introduced, like in the starting lineup or something. It was awesome. Um, a big finish, for sure. Let's see. Let's read a little bit more of. I can't get enough of this book. Night Hoops by Carl Duca. Carl, Carl, Carl. All right, here we go. Chapter four of part three. When Trent neat, neatly dressed in jeans and t-shirt entered the locker room before the Eastlake game on Saturday, I was the only one who wasn't stunned. Even O'Leary looked as if he'd seen a ghost, though he recovered fast. He went over to Trent and shook his hand. Good to have you back, son. After that, the normal locker room noise slowly returned, or almost returned. Guys would talk about the game coming up, but out of the corners of their eyes, they glanced at Trent, wondering if he'd really been, really killed those birds, and what it was like to spend time in jail. Then there was no time to worry about Trent. O'Leary called us together for the final chalk talk. He repeated everything he said at practice. We were going to, we were going to, to the set offense. No fast breaks unless we had clear numbers. A game plan perfect for Fabroa. As we went through the warm-up drills, I looked up into the stands. I spotted my father right away. When our eyes met, he made a fist to encourage me. My stomach turned over. What was I going to say to him if I ended up riding the bench for the whole game? I moved to the front of the layup line. The ball came to me, and I took a couple hard dribbles, rose, Banked in a lay-in, then jogged to the end of the line. That's when I saw the band. Scott was in the center, Katya right next to him. My mother was sitting a few rows above them, swaying back and forth, clapping her hands, totally caught up in the music as Scott pointed his trumpet, right, left, up, down, playing YMCA, better than I'd ever heard it played, making the whole gym rock. The horn sounded, game time. In the opener, I had Luke next to me, but now I was alone. While I sat on the bench, he was on the court, running the lanes and hitting the pull-up jump shots. After a hoop, he'd smile at Fabroa, and Fabroa would give him a, a little nod, and it was as if I didn't exist. Carver was hitting his shots too. In fact, the whole team was clicking. We jumped off to a 6 nothing lead, then 12-5. to We were up 16-11 with a minute left in the quarter before Fabroa finally came out and I stepped on the court. Be patient, I whispered to myself as I took the court, and I was. We had two possessions in that minute. On one we scored, on the other McShane turned the ball over. I was back on the bench when the second quarter started, not a drop of sweat on me. Killing time, not making mistakes, filling in so Fabroa could rest. Was that going to be my season? Eastlake pulled even as Fabroa struggled through the second quarter. He threw the ball away twice and missed all three shots he took. I could do better. I knew it. And I wanted to show it. Still, I heard O'Leary's voice. Don't force things. Let the game come to you. Right before halftime, I got the call again. And again, I played it safe. I passed up a jumper on the fast break only to see Marky 
miss a sweeping hook in the key. And I had a chance for a steal by held back, and Eastlake eventually scored on a drive to the hoop by their shooting guard. When the horn sounded, I had no turnovers, no assists, and no points. A trillion. He had, he had rocking the trillion like a Mark Titus club trillion. Uh, yeah, I'll explain it real quick here. So I've talked about club trillion, Mark Titus. Don't put me in coach. One of my biggest writing inspirations. Um, he was a walk on at Ohio State University, and whenever he would get in a game, he would try to get a trillion, which means the only category, the only stat category that was not a zero was his minutes. So there you go, a trillion. <laughs> a little explanation there, a little tangent. When the third quarter started, I was riding the pines again. Excuse me. The lead seesawed back and forth. Time after time, I saw fast break opportunities, opportunities that Fabroa passed up. I wanted to burst. If I'd been on the court playing my game, we'd have pulled away from them. I got my minute at the end of the quarter. One lousy, useless minute. Eastlake had the ball when I came on, and they held it for about 30 seconds before they scored on a bank shot by their center. I brought the ball down, passed it to Markey, who backed the ball in before missing a turnaround jumper. The Wolves came back, ran more clock, and scored with three seconds left. As the horn sounded ending the quarter, I was throwing up a wild air ball from half court. It was my first shot of the game. For a while, I didn't think I would play again. Luke caught fire and drained back-to-back three-pointers, giving us a four-point lead. But with about four minutes left, Fabroa stopped looking for Luke or McShane and instead dumped the ball into Carver time and time, time and again. Eastlake's defense double-teamed, then covered his passing lanes, shutting us down completely. Just like that, the Wolves went on an 8-0 run to take back the lead. O'Leary called a timeout. His eyes were like lasers. Don't force it, he shouted at Fabroa. If Darren is covered, covered, swing it to somebody else. But the next time down, Fabroa tried to dump it into Carver again. Eastlake tipped the ball free, and they were off to the races for another easy bucket. Worse, Fabroa fouled after the shot. O'Leary grabbed the top of his head with both hands. I thought he was going to pull out the little hair he had left. Abbott, get in there. As I stepped onto the court, my heart was pumping blood by the gallon. It was a home opener, the league opener. The gym was rocking. My mom, dad, and brother were watching. The Eastlake player switched the free throw. I took the inbound pass and raced the ball up the court. The guy guarding me backed off, looking to clog the passing lanes. I rose for the three-pointer. It felt good when I released it, but I must have been too pumped because it clanged long. That's all right, I thought to myself as I pedaled back. You'll make the next one. But that miss took away my confidence. My man gave me a simple head fake. I bit and he blew by me for a lay-in. As I brought the ball up court, I saw O'Leary pacing in front of the bench, his hands behind his neck, dark half-moons of sweat showing on his light blue shirt. He had the same look on his face that he'd had just before he yanked Fabroa. I picked up the dribble... At the top of the key, I faked a pass to Carver. Luke flashed into the key. I fed him a lob pass that he took at the free throw line. My guy dropped into a double team, so Luke whipped the ball right back. 
I was open for the three-pointer, but my hands were so sweaty the ball slipped and my shot was ugly. A low liner that sailed under the backboard and out of bounds. Air ball, air ball, air ball. The mocking chant rose from the Eastlake fans. I felt my face go red as Eastlake. Red as Eastlake quickly inbounded the ball. As my man raced up the right side of the court, I reached in, tipping the ball free. I barely nicked his arm, but the whistle blew, and the ref's finger was pointing at me. A second later, the horn sounded. Fabrera raced onto the court, and he was pointing at me, too. O'Leary didn't even look at me as I came off the court. I grabbed a towel and totally dejected, walked all the way down to the end of the bench. I dropped my head and covered it with a towel. That's when I felt the pat on the back and the low whispered words, you'll get him next time. We lost by 10. After the game, my father took me home. I didn't want to eat anything, but he insisted we stop for pizza. While we sat waiting for our food, he let me have it, telling me everything I already knew, that I'd played like an idiot, that I was too tentative in the first half, and too wild in the fourth quarter. You've got to think when you're out there. You understand? You've got to think. He reached over and rubbed the top of my head. He did that all the time when I was little, and I'd always liked it. But now he rubbed too hard so that it hurt. Besides, I wasn't little anymore. I pulled away. My mother had waited up. You did your best, Nick. That's all you can do. No one could be great every time, not even Michael Jordan. Scott had the sense not to say anything. Upstairs, staring at the ceiling, I kept seeing my mistakes. It was as if I was locked in a movie theater and were being forced to watch a gruesome clip from a horrific film over and over. Then, just before I fell asleep, I let the film run a few seconds longer in my mind. I saw myself after I'd been taken out of the game. I was at the end of the bench, a towel over my head. Then I felt the pat on the back and the words of comfort. You'll get him next time. Could that have been Trent? Ooh, what? What a good cliffhanger to leave that on. That was chapter four. Is it going to turn out that enemies become frenemies? Trent and Nick become friends? Fast friends. So, so much drama. I love it when you when you read a book like a long time ago. and you, It's a really good book and you can't remember what happens. So it's, when you read it again, it's just like reading a new book. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. <laughs> um, let's see. I like it. Love that book. Can't get over it. Let's see if we can find another little thing for me to read from my... This is from Gryffindor. My little Harry Potter journal here. Um, oh, this is something I want to write. A short story. So look, up for, look out for this short story coming soon. About a door-to-door trampoline salesman. Hmm. Don't know where. I, I am kind of obsessed with trampolines, I guess. I love trampolines. And the idea of someone being a door-to-door salesman. Oh, this past um, June, June 2018, I was back home in Bothell. Uh, I just got done with my internship at Covington Parks and Recreation. And I was looking for a job. And there's this company in Seattle. It was like the most Seattle company of all time. They were doing like organic vegetables but they were going um i think it was kind of like a like a loot crate 
uh, you know, like Blue Apron, Loot Crate, those uh, services, like, well, Loot Crate will s like send you a box of something, but this was kind of like a box of uh, vegetables. So they would go door to door trying to get people to sign up for this uh, organic vegetable, or are all vegetables organic? <laughs> See, I don't know that. I should know that probably. Um, yeah, it was a it was a job where you had to go door to door, uh, pitching this this membership for this organic vegetable like app, pretty much like an application. I think it may have been like an application that you could have got on your phone, but um, yeah, there's like a four hundred word speech that you had to memorize, and I went into Seattle. It was kind of right by Safeco Field and the clink where the Seahawks play. And uh, I interviewed for it. And I did not realize going to the interview that it was a door-to-door -door salesperson job, pretty much. And that got me so, what is that called? Uh, canvassing. Canvassing. Because, uh, is that because doors are, do doors like resemble canvas or something? Now I got to see what canvas is. But yes, it was. I went into it not knowing there was a door-to-door -door thing, and um, once I found out, pretty much made up my mind that right then and there, like I was still there, but I was like, I'm not gonna do this, just because going door-to-door -door is so intimidating to me. I don't know. I don't know. It seems frightening. Not frightening, but just you have to have a lot of courage. That's for sure. You go in teams though. Um, I don't know. Door to door wouldn't do it. That's what's. That's why it fascinated me so much, though. That's why I want to write about it, cause it's so intimidating to me. But maybe the person who who would do that would be a really interesting character. I think they would make for an interesting character, especially if they're trying to sell trampolines. I was listening to all oh, this podcast of my brother recommended me called uh last podcast on the left and i was listening to their episodes uh, they did a five-part series on jonestown that cold uh where the saying don't drink the kool-aid comes from it's that uh cult that killed they all killed themselves by drinking cyanide and was actually flavor aid actually not kool-aid it's a different it's something called flavor aid but um it's not as catchy as don't drink the Kool-Aid, so. Anyway, what was, wait, what was I just saying about the, oh yes, um, the Jim Jones, who's the person who started that cult, uh, Jonestown, um, before he started Jonestown, he sold, he sold monkeys door to door. It's so crazy. Right, now I gotta see Jim Jones. Monkey. I can't remember what kind of monkeys he sold, but yeah, monkey salesman. Um, pet monkeys. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so crazy. I just thought that was such a. That sounds so made up. How do you make money selling monkeys door to door? Who? Ha how do that many people have pet monkeys? Is that a real thing? <laughs> how many of how many of you listening have a pet monkey? I want you to, I want you to hit me up on social media. Hit me on Twitter. If you have a pet monkey, I might be interested in uh, 
interviewing you <laughs> or something, talking to you, learning more about where you got your, where'd you get that monkey? Was it after watching The Hangover? You're like, I need to get one of those. I need to get me one of them. I just thought that was so funny. Like, how can, are there more people? Maybe in Indiana, pet monkeys are like as common as like a house cat or something. I don't know. I've never been there. Um, here's something I wrote in my little Harry Potter journal here. Art is about convincing the audience of an emotions. Of Art is about convincing the audience of an emotion. <laughs> Take two there. It's interesting. Go to bed each night saying, I have lived. Um, answer life's question by doing great things. Find the smile of Sisyphus. We've talked about Sisyphus before. Pushing that boulder up the hill. Finding joy in it. Um, you always can control how you respond like you don't what am I trying to say you can't control what happens to you but you can always control how you respond to it how you react to it um, and yeah make your make your days pleasant I remember hearing someone say that on a podcast and that was really sticking with me I was just like I like that they were like saying when they were reflecting on their life. I think they were saying when they're laying on their deathbed, they just want like to look back and like that's what they want to think. They want to think, were my days pleasant? And I don't know. That's such a. I think that's like such a cool way to look at life. It's so interesting. Just looking for joy. I mean, I think there is like definitely value in relationships, jobs creating stuff, experiences. But this all kind of wrapped together into one little neat question. Were my days pleasant? I like that. Did you make the most of your days? Hmm. Um, man. Let's read a couple more. Courtney Cox. Actually, before we read a couple couple more Courtney Cox, let's see how long this next... Uh, see how long this next chapter is oh it's a short one let's just read chapter five <laughs> sorry guys i can't get enough of this i can't get enough night hoops we'll go chapter five and then we'll uh wrap it up and this is obviously um gonna be a part one this is gonna be a two-parter the ladies of friends here we go chapter five monday morning luke was at my door we didn't usually walk to school together so i knew he'd come come by to try to lift my spirits for a while we walked we talked about school midterms were that week and how hard it was to find time to study then the conversation turned to basketball you're going to be okay nick you're going to be okay when i scoffed my senior year no no you just got to become more of a team player his words stung what's that supposed to mean he caught my tone nothing just go on if you gotta say something say it he shrugged well, it seems like you're trying to do everything yourself yourself. when you're out there. You've got to remember you've got teammates who can score too. My whole body tensed, but I kept myself under control. And I suppose you don't care about scoring. Come on, you know what I mean. Everybody likes to score, but if it doesn't come to me, I don't force things. And I do? Is that what you're saying? 
A little. You have been. I exploded. You've got a lot of nerve, Luke. I'll tell you, a lot of nerve. Because you count your points more than anybody I've ever played with. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's right. He glared at me. Fine, Nick. Keep doing things the way you have been. You can sit on the bench all year for all I care. With that, he stormed off, leaving me to myself. All morning, I thought about how unfair he was. You miss the big shot, and you're a glory hog. You make it, and suddenly you're the guy with courage, the guy willing to step up with the game on the line. I'd always eaten lunch with Luke, and out of habit, I looked for him that day, too. But when I spotted him, he was in the thick in the thick with Carver and the other senior starters. Fine, I thought, my anger returning. You eat with them. See if I care. I had my history midterm that afternoon. I wasn't exactly unprepared for it, but I could have studied harder. When I finished my essay, I looked up and saw everyone else, including Trent, still working. What a joke it would be if he ended up eligible to play and I flunked myself right off the team. I put my head down and went over my essay, checking for misspellings and lousy sentences, improving it wherever I could. The school day ended and I walked out. I walked to the gym for practice. I was tired of being on the outs with Luke. I needed a friend. If he'd done anything at all, even looked at me, I'd have gone over and made it okay with him. But the instant he saw me, he turned away. I found an empty corner and suited up without saying a word to anybody. We'd gone through all our warm-up drills and were getting ready for scrimmage when Coach O'Leary called me aside. Listen, Nick, he said, his voice soothing, so, so soothing that... I knew bad news was coming. You're a good player. I know it. All the guys know it. But you're pressing. I'll play better, I said anxiously. Sure you will. Sure you will. But for right now, I've decided to move you to the third team and let Brian Chang take your minutes. During the scrimmage today, I want you to sit up in the stands and watch. You can learn a lot from watching. You understand what I'm saying? It was like taking a fist to the gut and then having to act as if it didn't hurt. I nodded and even managed to sort of smile. O'Leary put his hand on my shoulder. Good, good, that's the attitude. He blew his whistle and called the whole team to him. I could tell from the grin on Brian Chang's face that he knew he'd get my playing time. A couple of guys sneaked looks over at me, and I met their gazes as if nothing was wrong. When you're scrimmaging, time always goes fast. But when you're stuck watching, it's a whole different story. There were two of us sitting up there on those hard on those hard bleachers. Me and Trent. We sat as far apart from one another as we could and didn't say a word. The hardest part was knowing that neither Fabroa nor Chang had my ability. That's not bragging, it's just true. They weren't as fast, they didn't dribble as well, they didn't have my touch inside or out. But during practice, that practice, they moved the ball around, keeping everybody involved. That's it. O'Leary called out a couple times. That's it. By Wednesday afternoon, I knew there was no way I was getting into Thursday's game against the Redmond Mustangs, not even for a minute. Wednesday night, I sucked up my courage and called Dad. He answered, Nye's girlfriend, and that was something. But he didn't take what I had to tell him very well. What do you mean you're not playing? I'm third string. Unless it's a blowout, I won't get in. What's going on, Nick? You arguing with the coach? No, no, nothing like that. I paused. Look, Dad, there are only three sophomores on the team, and I'm one of them. 
so I don't play a whole bunch this year. So what? I've got time. There was a long stretch of silence. At last he spoke. Well, thanks for telling me. I have the opportunity to work some overtime, and I might just take it. You keep playing hard at practice, you hear? And if anything changes, call me. And that is the end of chapter five there. Sounds like sounds like Nick's dad isn't going to go watch him now. Man, he's not going to be playing because he doesn't want to watch him ride the bench, ride the old pine. Um, I think that's kind of weird. That's like a really weird coaching style by Coach O'Leary to decide to, why would he sit Nick out of the scrimmage at practice? Like, how would that make him improve as a player? I don't really understand that one. Like, you know, like, if you're trying to improve, trying to get better, you just got to keep keep him playing. He's not going to get any better by watching. That's what, That's for sure. That's one thing I learned in my life is I never really learned how, how to do anything by just watching. And I always learn how to do it by doing it myself. Like, you always have to do it yourself. That's uh, that's for sure. I think that's kind of a good lesson there. Um, here we go. We're back on uh, Courtney Cox's IMDb, and then we'll we'll wrap this baby up. So we were at a short from two thousand eight. She plays Alice in something called Alien Love Triangle. What? What? Uh, it's a short comedy sci-fi. Physics lecturer Stephen Chesterman finally realizes his long-cherished dream of perfecting a teleportation device and rushes home to tell his wife, Alice. But she has news of her own. She's a male alien disguised as a human female. Then then Elizabeth arrives, another alien who, who is to escort Alice back to planet New Lark. Um, what? <laughs> This this does not seem like a this does not seem like a very acceptable movie in today's progressive times. I think I think this this little short this little alien love triangle short would not be released. Um that's my prediction. <laughs> a decade later in this year, today? <laughs> you telling me? No. That's funny. Uh, dirt. Oh, we already, we already, wow, we already read Alien Love Triangle. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't even say anything about it the first time. Because, did we, did we not? Maybe we didn't already read that one. Either way. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. As you can tell, it's getting late in the podcast for me too. <laughs> That's okay. So, Dirt, Lucy Spiller, yep, and Dirt, FX, uh, 20 episodes. It's the Archer one, of course. Um, the Monday Before Thanksgiving is a short from 2008. She plays Cece. The Monday Before Thanksgiving. What happens then? That's like the week before Cyber Monday. It's That's what you call it. Uh, 2008 Bedtime Stories plays Wendy. Let's see what this was. 99 Minutes, PG, Comedy, Family, Fantasy. Oh, we talked about this in the Adam Sandler episode. Oh my gosh. This is what we're going to start discovering on Stars Born 
There's gonna be so much movie overlap. We're gonna it's gonna make my head spin. I'm gonna be like, we've already talked about this in this episode. And this it's gonna be like, where's Waldo for trying to remember which episode I talked about this movie? Um, so this one, bedtime stories, the Adam Sandler one. A hotel handyman's life has changed when the lavish bedtime stories he tells his niece and nephew start to magically come true. Excuse me. So it sounds kind of like uh, the cobbler. The cobbler. I think that's what that was based on too. Kind of one of those fantastical, comes true, night the museum kind of deals. Uh, this is a great TV show. This was one of my favorite TV shows back in the day. Scrubs, 2009. She plays Dr. Maddox for three episodes. Except 2009 was like, I definitely stopped watching Scrubs by this point because um, it started in 2001, ended in 2010. I think um, JT, wait, that was Zach Braff's name, right? JT? I think it was JT. Um, JT and uh, Dr. Turk. I think they were gone by then. They had gone all uh, Michael Scott in the office on them. They disappeared. Let's see, Scrubs. What is Scrubs about? Whoops. Don't want to click on the episode guy there. Scrubs. In the unreal world. I like how it says it's an unreal world. It's like, don't mistake this for reality. It reminds me of those car commercials where they have the, the giant paragraph about like, this is a closed course. Do not attempt this at home. Don't try to drive your car on two wheels. In the unreal world. Of Sacred Heart Hospital. Intern. Oh, it's JD, of course. <laughs> See, I like how I, I'm a big fan of the show. I can't remember if it's... I was like, JT? Of course, it's JD. Intern John Dorian. JD learns the ways of medicine, friendship, and life. Obviously, haven't seen this show for a while. Super funny, though. The janitor. Oh, my gosh. The janitor's hilarious. Ted is funny too. Um, let's see. Web Therapy. It's a TV series from 2009. She plays Serena Duval. Wow, I've never seen Duval spelled like this with the V capitalized. What? <laughs> why is it why is it like that? Why is it like that? Uh, Scream 4. Deleted and Extended Scenes, Video Short, 2011, Gail Weathers Riley, and then followed by Scream 4, which is, I think this is a good place for us to, to leave it. Let's, let's call it, let's call it part one, let's call this part one on Scream 4, uh, it's 111 minutes, Radar, Horror Mystery, Ten years have passed, and Sydney Prescott, who has put herself back together, thanks in part to her writing, is visited by the Ghostface Killer. That must be where that... I wonder if that's where the rapper Ghostface Killer... He must have got it from Scream. Must be a big fan of the show. Um, wow. I forgot that she was a writer, too. It's one of those movies about a person writing a book. Kind of like, um... 
Riley from National Treasure. Yes. Who plays Doug in The Hangover. It all comes back to The Hangover. Here at A Star is Born. It always comes full circle. Back to The Hangover. Full circle. Alright, we're doing it big. Looking out the window now. Now it's icy blue skies. Those clouds have subsided. Those clouds have disappeared here in Pullman. Beautiful day. Sunny. I'm still an author. Still an author. Still sitting in my apartment. Coffee house. Second floor. Looking out the window. Beautiful day. Across the street from Washington State University. Find my books. Sponge Cake. A mostly made up story about a completely insane town. And what's in the fridge. They're both on Amazon, Kindle, and Barnes and Noble. So check those out. Um, and also um, check out my blog, thegoat1.blogspot.com, website, chrisyauthor.com. Follow me on Twitter, chrisyauthor8, Instagram, chrisarneson8. Thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast with a friend, family member, coworker, anyone and everyone. Everyone, we doing it, we doing it, we doing it. I'm so happy to have you listening to me here. Um, it's been a wild, wild ride. Um, you guys, I'm, if you're if you've been listening since episode one, then God bless you. Thank you so much. If you haven't, make sure to listen to the first 25 episodes as well of A Story's Born. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, yes, and thank you for building the Milky Way of starfishes. Remember, that's what we decided to call y'all. Uh, that's what the community of fans of Stars Born is going to be called from now on. Henceforth, henceforth, on this day, 3.56 p.m., March 15th, 2019, y'all are known as the Milky Way of starfishes. Very well. I love it. <laughs> I'm just babbling on now. You can see how much I love it because I babble and I ramble and I bramble and I keep going. And that's what you got to do. You just got to keep your head up and keep moving. And thank you. I love you. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's wrap it. I don't know what else to say. Oh, yeah. Also, thank you for rating and reviewing it on uh, iTunes as well. All right. Let's do this. Closing time, time for you to go home to the places where you belong. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home, take me home. Closing time, time for you to go home to the places where you've Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me for yet another thrilling, exciting, enriching, absolutely, it's been so much fun, a great episode of A Star is Born. 
just part one too. Part two is gonna be coming at you soon. Hopefully, maybe tonight. Maybe I do it tonight. Maybe I do it tomorrow. We'll see. But um, this was part one, and I hope you really enjoyed it. And um, thanks for listening and telling everyone about it. Telling all the people you know. Spreading the good word. Building the community. Building the, uh, the Milky Way. Go eat a Milky Way. Sponsor the podcast, Milky Way. All right. <laughs> On that note, I love you.